All right, and we are rolling. Hey guys, sorry I'm late. I, I fucked up after leaving work and realized I forgot to grab the equipment for recording this episode. Oh, well, don't worry, Briggs. Uh, Sam just finished putting together our new setup. Yeah, so you actually came in at just the right time to record that. Well, that's uh, convenient. Um, Sam, where'd you get all this from? Why, the boys and I developed it in the lab, of course. The boys. His cats. Yes, and I've actually taken the liberty of improving on our old setup. Uh-huh. Interesting. So, like, what, do we not have to worry about mic stand bumps anymore, or...? No, Briggs, I mean protection. For example, if you check your mic, there will be a small knob. You need to move this knob counterclockwise 90 degrees to activate the safety on your mic, or it will shoot you in the face. Why? So no one steals the mic. Um, okay. Uh, anything else we need to know about all this stuff? Well, along with the guns in our mics, we have a hidden gun in the mixer in case things get dicey. We have this bag of Zaps brand chips in case things get hungry, with one explosive chip in case you need to escape capture, and then we have this fake gun coated in cyanide you can lick to avoid capture. What? Why isn't, why isn't it just a real gun? I, I ran out of real guns after shoving them inside our equipment. This sounds extremely convoluted and unnecessary. Uh, I don't know, Kreider. Things are getting pretty crazy out there. They say that revenge is on the rise. Fine, fuck it. Just take the guns out of our equipment next time. We don't need to hide them. We're Americans. Goddamn right we are. Hey, um, Ryder, could you uh, pull your mic up to your face just a little bit? I just need to adjust something. Ah! Ah! The mic shot my eye. Oh, shit. I, I, th- I think I forgot to turn that knob Sam was yakking about earlier. It's okay. Our chairs have ejector seats, so they'll blast us off to the nearest hospital. Please don't. Get in your seat. We'll follow him. Um, I'm just going to take this jetpack I found over here. Some movies make you feel good. Some movies make you sick. But the best movies come in threes. Baby, let's take a trip to it. Hey, everybody. We made it back from the hospital. I, I made it back from the hospital. If you guys notice, this is the third time an episode is opened and Kreider's been maimed or harmed in some way sending him to the hospital. It's a trilogy of hospital bills. Had to complete it. They say that three more visits, the, the seventh one is free. <laughs> oh, that's a chip. I don't want to do a movie podcast anymore. <laughs> well, don't worry. I think Sam's got something animated planned for, for next month, so you, you should be fine, I think. I've seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You're gonna, I'm going to get fucked up again, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Triptych. Welcome to Triptych. So it's... um. Is this your birthday month? This is my birthday month. My birthday is on June 6th. Oh my god. And it's a James Bond June in honor of Briggs' birthday. Not just my birthday, my 30th birthday. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome, bitch. (laughs) Abandon all hope, all ye who enter here. However, however, I am not the only one celebrating a birthday this year. No, James Bond, the movie iteration, anyways, is celebrating its 60th birthday in 2022. Wow, so this this franchise is twice as old as you. Exactly. That's crazy to think. Holy moly. Yeah. What a, what a, you know, I mean, much like your life, what a ride James Bond has had, am I right? I know, yeah, like, yeah, so... 
we've talked a little bit about this, but not on mic. But yeah, so I'm, my background with James Bond is more with the Pierce Brosnan. So same. I thought that James Bond was kind of silly overall. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, when I got older, of course, Daniel Craig started coming out. And that gave me, I'm very loyal to Daniel Craig because he's my Bond. Yeah. You know? No, same here. Although, you know, generationally speaking, yeah, Craig is our Bond. But, uh, you know, like you said, you're you're obviously just like with me. Your gateway was the GoldenEye video game back in the 90s. Yes, of course, the Nintendo 64 GoldenEye. Which is what, st- you know, it's still ranked 20-something years, almost 30 years later as one of the greatest video games of all time. And for good reason. And, uh, you know, that was my introduction as well. However, you primarily stayed with the Brosnan stuff after that, right? Yeah, no. So I, I, every time I tried to watch a James Bond movie, I was like, oh, they're silly. Yeah. <laughs> These are silly movies. I mean, you're not, you're not inaccurate. Most of them are. No, yeah. and, you know, even Dr. No, which is the first one, has some elements that are very silly. Yeah. We'll get into, but, like... I, uh, I I never really got into James Bond growing up. My mom hated James Bond. You know, she's very feminist, and uh, Bond's let's admit it, kind of a kind of an asshole to women. Yeah, what? So, <laughs> or at least Connery Bond. Is. At least Connery Bond is. Connery Bond's an asshole to women in real life. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's very true. But uh, so I didn't get into it until a couple years ago. Uh, when all the movies were on Netflix, and I just like marathoned all of them from Doctor No. And linearly to uh, the the last Pierce Brosnan one. Oh, Die Another Day. Die Another Day. The Halle Berry one. And then eventually I watched the Daniel Craigs. Yeah. Isn't her character, isn't Halle Berry's character also named Domino? No. It's Jinx. Oh, it's Jinx. Jinx. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> no, Sorry. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking of Jinx and Domino from Marvel. <laughs> hey! <laughs> nice. But, uh. No, yeah, I remember, like, GoldenEye, the video game, was my gateway, and then I remember my mom rented the movie for me, GoldenEye, and that, I was on board, Um, and I started seeing them little by little here and there, but it was around when Die Another Day came out, you know, obviously that's the first one I saw in the theater, so I was super fucking stoked, which, looking back on it now, it's not a great movie. (laughs) You know what? But Don't don't feel so bad. So many of us are for Star Wars as Phantom Menace. Exactly. But... But the big takeaway from that, though, is that Die Another Day came out in 2002, which was the 40th anniversary year of the Bond franchise. And as such, they released all of the films up to that point, including Die Another Day, in collector's DVD box sets, like in these big new special editions, which we used to watch these movies because I still have those box sets up there, and I haven't upgraded any of them to Blu-ray yet. In fact, the only ones I have on Blu-ray are the more recent Craig Craig movies, at least Skyfall and on. Uh, I haven't gotten No Time to Die yet just because I'm waiting for, because obviously this year is the 60th anniversary. And yeah, I'm, they got to do a big special one, right? I'm mm. waiting for that box set to drop because you know it's going to. It always does. So I'm waiting for that. But uh, so I got the three, they released them as three box sets up to that point with the first 20 James Bond movies in, uh, in a row. And, uh, yeah, I binged the hell out of these movies as a kid all the fucking time. James Bond is my favorite movie franchise overall. Has been ever since I was a kid. These are movies that I still regularly go back and visit every single year. I remember actually 
back when I was a kid, AMC used to marathon all these movies around Christmas time and Thanksgiving. No, and that's where I remember seeing like Thunderball the first time. Exactly. And, um, probably some of the Pierce Brosnans. Yeah. So yeah, I even have a bunch of them, most of them up to World is Not Enough, at least on VHS even. Wow. Yeah, no, I am a fucking fan. <laughs> yeah, you got some of the books. I do. I do have some of the books. I have Man That's with the crazy. Golden Gun, From Russia with Love, You Only Live Twice, and uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service as books. Yeah, and I would probably say that, you know, James Bond, much like how they say Sam Spade is like what every detective wishes they were. <laughs> it's like James Bond is probably what every spy wishes that they were. Yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously, you know. <laughs> Fantasy spy material, not actual spy stuff. If you were to look at something like, you know, Tinker Taylor Soldier I was going to say, like, John Le Carre is really the much less glamorous, more factual representation of what it is to be a spy. Yeah. Know? And I'm very, I do love, you know, that type of genre of the spy who came in from the cold where it's like, it just sucks. It sucks being a spy. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, That's kind of the overall message. I also love, you know, but I mean, fantasy spy stuff is a lot of fun because I mean, no, after James Bond, I got into Mission Impossible. Oh, yes. yes. And uh, Tom Clancy material. Mm-hmm. You know, I really, li- I really like uh, Jack Ryder. Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. Yeah, you can Who's tell Jack, how much of a fan I am. Yeah, Jack Ryder is someone else. Jack Jack Ryder is from Batman. Coincidentally, the first <laughs> Jack Ryan portrayal on screen, Hunt for Red October, you have Sean Connery. Yeah, but that was played by notorious murderer Alec Baldwin. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really like Alec Baldwin's version of uh, Jack Ryan. Honestly, I think his then, he's the most lifelike for the book because in the book he's just like a like an analyst type character. But as these move as those movies have gone on, he's gotten more actiony. Well, they keep trying to make a make an American Bond out of him, but it just never works out. It's like I don't know why you would try doing that when you have a perfectly good Mission Impossible over here that's been striving towards that since the '90s, and I think only recently has finally started hitting those levels where it's kind of on at least like maybe I would say like the early Brosnan era of Bond in terms of like big bombastic like. What was it about Jeremy Renner where we really wanted him to be the new spy guy? He was the new Bourne. He was the new Mission Impossible guy. There was a period where we really were trying to push him as like a leading man. Well, I think he's mm. still involved in Mission Impossible. The only reason he wasn't in Fallout is because of Avengers. Avengers? Yeah. What's that? Oh, it's a, another spy show. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a, Sean yeah. Connery was in the movie. Uma Thurman. Yeah. Uma yeah. Thurman. Um, uh, Voldemort. Ray, F- <laughs> Ray Fiennes. Yep. Okay. Of course. How could I forget? Classic movie. I know. Classic. <laughs> but, classic um, franchise, The Avengers. <laughs> So I, I've been very excited for this one. We uh, we we dipped into my personal favorite era of this franchise for the uh, for the episode this week. I've all ever since I was a kid, I've been all about the Connery era, Sean Connery era of this series. No, and these are fucking some '60s ass movies. Yeah, no, I love it. No, the no, colors, no. the the bikinis, the cinematography. It's the, so great. These three in particular, such a perfect snapshot of height of the cold war like relations like between like the the soviet powers and russia and the uk and the americans like it's it's just it is a product of its time in so many ways not a lot of them fortunate unfortunately but (laughs) yeah you know it's like you have to imagine a time when russia was evil yeah it's also kind of a an interesting product of cinema because I mean this is also before uh, you know we had 
big franchise material and blockbusters happening very before it yeah so it's kind of interesting uh, you know seeing yeah it does early predate f- the spielberg and lucas models by about 10 years yeah so it's kind of interesting seeing film franchises like franchises like this where the you know it's serialized no real uh carryover and plot and continuity and it's you know there, there's plenty of big set pieces in these films, but oh, yeah. they don't get as crazy as they would eventually when these when these films became blockbusters. These, I mean, we'll get into it, but there's still some pretty crazy set pieces. In oh, these. absolutely, absolutely, there are. But yeah, the, these definitely were the blockbusters before that really became a common thing in the '70s with Spielberg and Lucas, like mm-hmm. like uh. Now, and me and Sam were talking about like there's something special about James Bond where it's. A level below art house, you know, but it's still like Oscar caliber talent a lot of the time, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like it's mass entertainment, but it's not like for kids, you know, and not it's just, not just for kids. It's yeah. like it's for adults as well. And not just that, but it's also kind of a trendsetter, but it's also very much a trend chaser. Like yeah, every yeah, film yeah. follows what's popular at the time. I know like Casino Royale had them at the bodies exhibit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really big at the time well, to I mean, go look at the dead bodies of well, even, uh, Taiwanese POWs. Even, <laughs> even before then, I mean, like you know, Live and Let Die was in 1973, and it's the black exploitation Bond film. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then uh, Moonraker is two years past Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah. <laughs> man with Man with the Golden Gun was at the height of kung fu films popularity. You know, Enter the Dragon had just come out the year before, so obviously that's the kung fu James Bond movie. I would argue a lot of the Pierce Brodnans feel a bit uh, Tim Burton Batmanish, a little and to an extent. Yeah, kind of reacting to superhero movies a little bit at that point, and, and then and really crazy vehicles. Like the it's 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 definitely those are definitely entrenched in the whole '90s blockbuster culture for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, like uh, kind of weird excess. Yeah, and very big sets. And then, of course, as we all know, these uh, Daniel Craig ones are very much uh, a, 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 akin to Bourne. Yeah, they're akin to Bourne, but also very post Nolan. A very yeah, post-Nolan. Uh, yeah, you're right. Post-Nolan so like, too. kind of the post post nine eleven cinema, you know? Yeah, where it's like what. It's inspired by what was inspired by 9-11. <laughs> you know what, though? We're not here to talk about the 9/11. complexities. <laughs> the complexities of uh, geopolitics today. <laughs> We're talking about the geopolitics of your grandfather's time. Exactly. Yep. So uh, we're going to go ahead. So for we're skipping a movie here. So there's... Obviously, you have the first two. You have Dr. No and From Russia With Love. From Russia With Love being my personal favorite in the whole franchise overall. We're skipping Goldfinger because, A, there, you definitely get a bit of a stylistic shift in Goldfinger. It's the Pussy Galore one. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's the Pussy Galore one. I must be dreaming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, I must uh, be dreaming because that's a stupid fucking name. <laughs> we, we, we're jumping past Goldfinger into Thunderball because the through line, aside from Sean Connery of all these, is the director of the films, Terrence Young, who his stamp is awesome. All over these movies, front to back. They call it his Terrence Stamp before exactly. Terrence Stamp was an actor. <laughs> Very much the style setter, Terrence Stamp. But what, uh, did Terrence Young direct anything notable Terrence outside Young. of James Bond? Um, nothing super big. I don't think. Like he it's a tragedy. He, he, I mean, he was more known, I think, in the British film scene. Like, uh, oh wow, I'm looking at it now, and he. Uh, some of his other credits, he did Wait Until Dark, 
with Audrey Hepburn. That's a great one. Yeah, that was Terrence Young, apparently. Dude, have you ever seen Wait Until Dark where nope. she's blind and Alan Arkin's coming in to rob her? That is a fantastic Jesus. movie. That, That's I'll a never, freaky movie, dude. I'll never forget seeing the scene where Alan Arkin jumps out of the shadows at her from uh, the Bravo 100 Scariest Movie Moments special. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and like right at the end, and he's like, ah. Yeah, when he's all fucked up at the end. Um, aside from that, though, it doesn't really look like he made anything that really made too many waves. Like, he, he was a steady working director before the Bond movies. So much. he was kind of a professional that they brought in. Exactly, yeah. He's not unlike James Bond himself. Uh, oh, no, a that's... A classic thing of, ho- of Hollywood. No, that's definitely one of the one of the things you notice about this director when you learn more about him, is, and especially you watch the interviews, is he got compared to the character James Bond quite a lot. He was a world traveler by this point. Like, he was born in Shanghai and grew up, like, all around the world. He lived a life of super excess, like <laughs> Bond does. Like, pretty much, I mean, hell, he, he probably went around murdering people, for all we know, and he, we just don't know that part. Just for fun. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. This is, this is old Hollywood we're talking about, guys. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, so he uh, so that's why we chose these three in particular as kind of that through line. And, yeah, and I've uh, I've seen Goldfinger, and I'm just like, you pointed out, it's like mostly takes place in Kentucky. Yeah, <laughs> it's like who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah, with the exception from Russia of from Russia with Love, we, we're mostly spending our time in the Caribbean. Yeah, but even with From Russia with Love, we're in Istanbul. You know, we're in the countryside. It's exotic. Yeah, you know, but like fucking. Switzerland and Kentucky, which essentially look the same in Goldfinger. <laughs> uh, How crazy is it that uh, that North England is almost identical to Southern California? I remember being disappointed that Goldfinger was just like a fat dude. Yeah. Right now, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. I mean, you know. Yeah. Rich guy. I think you have better villains in these movies anyways than Goldfinger. So yeah, diving into Dr. No, anybody... Uh... No, yeah, let's just jump in, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to this one. I'm fucking psyched. Dr. No. Dr. No was a simple man with a simple plan to shoot radioactive beams at rockets for the American space program in order to save his secret evil island resort. But just when it seemed complications were gone, some pig-headed chauvinist spy with his girlfriend and boating buddy, stumble onto his secret island resort just to avenge the deaths of some people Dr. No had killed. Despite scaring scientists and minorities to go kill James Bond, Dr. No takes matters into his robotic hands and is beaten by the trained assassin, losing his resort, his dragon, and his dreams. (laughs) (laughs) I think he was just angry at America, and that's why he's... Toppling well, their rockets. He's angry. At, that's why he wants to save his resort. He's angry at both sides. You know, he uh, like Bond mentions in the one of the few encounters that they have. He's like, you know, I'm sure the Allies would love to have your knowledge on this matter. And he's like, yeah, they. I, I went to them. They turned me down, and so did the uh, so did the Russians. <laughs> hey, wait, that was the premise for Timothy Oliphant's character in Live Free or Die Hard. What? Oh shit! I completely <laughs> forgot about that entire plot. I forgot Timothy, Timothy Oliphant is in that movie. Oh, I remember he was in that movie, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so we have here the very first James Bond movie. 
I'm not going to say the first appearance of James Bond. Yeah, so there were, I didn't know there was a made-for-TV movie. Yeah, yes. so weird. So you got to go back, obviously, to the books. Ian Fleming created the character and wrote Casino Royale back in 1953. And the following year, you have a CBS special that aired... Uh, Based on the book, you have um, so the very the very first Bond appearance on screen was a CBS TV special in 1954. It was shot for a uh, a series called Climax, and you had an actor named nice. you had an actor named Barry Nelson playing James Bond, and you had Peter Lorre as Le Chief. Now that's cool. That sounds pretty awesome. Peter Lorre's awesome. He's a yeah. great actor. Peter Lorre would have been a perfect James Bond villain. Barry Nelson sounds like a very average. He never got to do that, I guess, huh? No, I think this is his only ever involvement with the James Bond multimedia franchise. No, and that we we could talk about how like the James Bond franchise is kind of like parallel to the Hitchcock thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and how they're kind of aping Hitchcock's style in some cases. At so, least by the next one. Yeah, definitely in the next one. Well, so you know, Hitchcock obviously was the master of suspense by around this time. You know, the fifties is the Hitchcock golden era. You know, you have. All, most of his movies with Jimmy Stewart coming out, you know, movies right. like Rear Window and Vertigo, The Man Who Knew Too Much, North by Northwest with Cary Grant. Classic. I know Psycho is like one of his later career moves. Yeah, it's, cr- it's crazy to think about. Yeah, Psycho's what he's arguably most known for, and yeah, that was like that was decades like, into his career. Yeah, that was in the sixties. It was nineteen sixty. Yeah, it predates Doctor No by two years, but um, yeah, and. It, it's important to note, though, you know, he Hitchcock did do a fair amount of spy and espionage stuff oh, yeah. in the UK. You know, he did, obviously, The Lady Vanishes, The 39 Steps is the biggest one. Notorious. Notorious, Secret Agent, the, the original man who knew too much from the 30s. To Catch a Thief. Well, I mean, that's not really much of a spy. No, no, I don't. I don't think so. I'm mixing it up with something then. And, that, and even still, that's like 50s. I'm yeah, talking yeah. like early Hitchcock. And, uh... Obviously, a lot of the, these elements, you know, seep their way into the Bond series. So, you know, the CBS special didn't really make too many waves back or upon its original airing. Like, people were amused by it, yeah, but it never comes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It never comes up. I think you can actually find it on YouTube, even. It's like it's in the public domain, I think. I'll check it out. But um, probably find that easier than the Woody Allen James Bond. And was that an yeah. original adaptation of? So yeah, that was the first adaptation of Casino Royale. Yeah, and the first time we ever got to see Bond off of the page. Yeah, and it didn't. So and so yeah, and when it comes time to American. Do, yeah, when it comes time to do Doctor No, so you know, but after that, you know, Fleming went back and continued writing the books, and of course, the books are what really caught on. You know, the CBS special only aired like a year after Casino Royale was published. So, you know... So it wasn't yet a franchise exactly. of series of books. But, it was just this know, one, we don't know who James Bond is yet. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, after that, you know, we start getting all like Dr. No and Moonraker and uh, Diamonds Are Forever and all the rest of the books start dropping very rapidly after this and Bond becomes a fucking sensation. And, of course, you know... Hollywood's going to take notice. <laughs> no, and they do. And so, I I want to get I want to get into this. So like, who Sean Connery? Such a good performance. Mm-hmm. This is iconic. I love Sean Connery. Well, you know, there, there's no bad performances of Sean Connery. There's just bad movies that he's in. Well, you know, before mm. before Sean Connery, you know, even before that whole can of worms is opened, you know, it was actually 
kind of a struggle to get this movie made. You know, it was a book, uh, highly successful book series at the time, but there weren't really that many people in Hollywood that were completely sold on it yet. And so a lot of them couldn't read. Exactly. Mm. So it, it took them a little while to get it. Like they had been planning a Bond movie at least since the 19, late 1950s. Like I want to say probably around 58, 59, maybe even 60, you know, Cubby Broccoli, the longtime producer of the the franchise, he was always the big champion for it. And Is Albert's nickname Cubby? Yes. Okay. That's adorable. <laughs> yeah. That's what he was always n- known as around set was Cubby. Cubby Broccoli. <laughs> Guys, but, um, stop calling me that. <laughs> <laughs> but he was always the big champion of this, trying to get this made, and no one was really into it. You know, his producing partner at the time... Uh, uh, wasn't really a big fan of the idea. They tried to secure it as a project for Alfred Hitchcock to do back hmm. in the early. No, you. Oh no. So you, it was. It eventually landed at United Artists, and United Artists thought it would be a good vehicle for Hitchcock, but they couldn't work it out, and so. That's just like it's one of those alternate reality things where it's like how Kurosawa wanted to do a Godzilla and they wouldn't let him. Or how Orson Welles wanted to do a Batman. Yeah, it's like, man... Imagine if it had happened. Right. Like, imagine a world... It would have been bad, probably, but it would have been so cool to have. And it's like a... So it's like, on that end, imagine a world where James Bond just didn't happen. Like, it stayed in the books. (laughs) I can't imagine. That would be pretty tough. Mike Mike Myers would have done a comedic remake of The Graduate. (laughs) I mean, either that or he would have picked other spy stuff, you know? I mean, what what the fuck spy stuff? Yeah, what what were they... (laughs) Because, like, until James Bond, the biggest spy story was either Jean Le Carre or Somerset Maugham was the first one. Hmm. He would do these series of short stories, and they were very realistic portraits of just how spies were normal people that would be enlisted by the government. That was the whole thing, was that you have, like, a normal personality, so it's not suspicious if you travel across state borders and shit like that. And, of course, you know, there's all the Hitchcock stuff, because, you know, Hitchcock didn't give up espionage at all throughout his career. Even some of his later films, even though they're not as great, are very espionage-based, but very different from the Bond series. And so eventually, you know, the stars aligned... Uh, Cubby Broccoli partnered up with Harry Saltzman, a Canadian producer who was also looking to try to get the Bond project off the ground because he eventually got the rights to do it and was looking for someone to help and, you know, found Broccoli and, you know, they partnered up. Broccoli's good for you. They partnered up with United Artists and history was made. And so now comes the the task. Okay, cool. We're gonna make this movie. Who's gonna play this character? And you know, James Bond is described as being like blonde hair, blue eye, Aryan. No, I don't. I don't think blonde hair. I think I, I thought I thought it was more dark haired. I'm pretty sure he's blonde in the books. Hmm. Interesting. But. But uh. So, so yeah. So tell me who 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 are the, who are some of the men that would have been Bond? So. Fleming, Ian Fleming, the creator of the character, he initially envisioned David Niven playing the character. David Niven. That name sounds very very familiar. He eventually did go on to play the character in the 60s Casino Royale parody. Oh. And, uh... The one with Woody Allen and Peter Sellers? Exactly, yeah. But, uh, that, of course, didn't... The conversations never even happened. (laughs) Uh, I'd say probably the most noteworthy one that they wanted, or at least talked about, was Cary Grant. Cary Grant, I get. I and totally uh, see. 
But uh, fun fact, he was actually the uh, best man at the broccoli wedding. (laughs) Yeah, he he was Cubby Broccoli's best man at his wedding because they were super close friends. But they knew if they went to him to do it, he would only have done like one film and that was it. And then they'd be back to square one if the film was successful. Yeah. Um, Roger Moore was another one they considered, but because of television commitments, he couldn't sign on to do it and then another one a li- he's like don't worry i'll make it up to you by doing a <laughs> yeah. shitload of them later on yeah <laughs> but uh another one that isn't quite talked about as much there's an actor named richard johnson who was initially uh uh thrown dick, around dick as, johnson yeah and uh some of the other credits he had he he eventually would go on to be in the original adaptation of the haunting Okay. He was the doctor on the island in Zombie by Lucio Fulci. Okay. <laughs> and uh, well, and then, a good movie, by the way. And he was also in the first Tomb Raider as well later on in life. Wow. Yeah. I don't know what character he played. I just saw he was in there. But I don't then, remember any people from that outside of Angelina Jolie and I think Gerard Butler. <laughs> yeah. yeah, who cares? But... Uh, then eventually, you know, an actor crosses their uh, path. See that? Richard Johnson's got it. He could have done it. Yeah, yeah. Seems to be very just harsh-looking dudes with very pronounced eyebrows. Yeah, mostly. Also, but, uh, a really quick thing: I'm looking up uh, the book descriptions of James Bond, and apparently, he's physically based off of uh, Ian Fleming's brother, Peter Fleming. Ah, interesting. Dark hair, really okay. gaunt. Uh, you know, kind of a strong chin. Yeah. Interesting. But uh, eventually, though, Connery is brought to their attention. They look at some of his prior works. He had had, he had at, at right around 11 film credits to his name by this time, and uh, but he was still relatively unknown. So Interesting. They weren't, Perfect. So they weren't really 100% sold on him at first, or at least the, the studio wasn't, but, you know, they relented and uh, decided, you know, maybe going with an unknown is not a bad idea. We can make him do more stuff. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so a legend was born. <laughs> and yet he still seems to have like a lot of demands. Like, why didn't they just put the fucking spider on him then? Yeah. yeah well, I mean, maybe they do that all this a... work to do the pane of glass where the spider's crawling on him. Maybe it was a safety thing. Yeah. Uh, d- d- but there's, a sh- there's shots where it's clearly a spider on somebody's body. <laughs> probably, the, probably Bob Simmons, the stunt coordinator. Yep. <laughs> Who, like,. So yeah, this blew my mind. Is that in the opening gun barrel shot? It's not even fucking yeah Connery so, doing it, and then we get yeah he's it's wearing a, a hat as well. He's yeah. wearing a stupid looking hat. Yeah, the <laughs> so hat, cute. The hat persists all the way through the end of the Connery era with Diamonds Are Forever. And stupid. <laughs> I and uh, so yeah, they didn't even have Connery make that walk in the gun barrel. Which in, why didn't they do that? I don't know. They they had the the first uh, person to play James Bond in the gun barrel sequence is stunt coordinator Bob Simmons. He did the walk, and I'm pretty sure they just recycled the footage. The same, yeah, in the second and third for from Russia with Love and Goldfinger. But then Thunderball is when we get Connery making the walk for but the first looks, time. But it looks it's so far away, and he's wearing the exact same outfit that I, you literally cannot tell the difference. Well, they're shooting yeah. it through a pinhole camera. Yeah, you can't tell. You yeah, can't the, tell that it's fucking Sean Connery, so it's like, at this point, you shouldn't even bother. It's a very small gun barrel hole. You know, you know what, though? I, I kind of like that as, like, just, like, a little calling card to, like, open the film with. Like, I feel like it's a good, ambiguous yeah. thing. I just, like, well, I, like, 
I kind of like that if, if it's not Sean Connery, it's like just the idea that there is a spy, you mm-hmm. know, like just the gener- general idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, do you remember an American Dad where he's doing that and the thing shoots? He's like, oh, you're a gun? I thought you were like a monster eye or something. <laughs> That's what I thought it was at first. Yeah, when too, I was a little and... kid in the gold, well, because the video game opens with yeah. that, and I was do, like, "Is that like do, a monster do, eyeball?" Do, do. <laughs> no, you see, I always thought it was a sniper rifle scope. Uh, so you're pretty, you're pretty on the on the level. I'm close, but you I'm know just... how you bleed into your gun when you get shot. Oh yeah, uh, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they they end up going with Connery, and you know, Connery becomes a Hollywood legend from then on because Doctor No blew the fuck up. So you see, when a woman. When she keeps insisting that you've done something wrong, and I've already apologized, I've said, yes, you're right, I was wrong. But she won't stop talking about it. <laughs> Only then. <laughs> Is it okay to hate a woman? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that uh, I love interview. the interview being like, are you sure you want to say that, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that, that surfaced a lot after he died. Let's Con- acknowledge the fact that Sean Connery was arguably a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah kind of. <laughs> and that James Bond is... so like James Bond is also a piece of Daniel shit. Daniel Craig plays James Bond as a psychopath. Yeah. yeah. But Sean Connery plays him as a sociopath. <laughs> Sean Connery does not give a shit about death. No. Or he's, like the, he's very nonchalant about it. It's like, oh, I made love to her and now she's dead. You know, tomato, tomato. Uh, come see, come saw. Obla di, obla da. Or, uh, or, or I've made love to her, and I'm never going to see her again. Yeah. I totally lost her cell phone number. Hakuna Matata. <laughs> what a wonderful thing. <laughs> but uh, this is like, really interesting about this one, like, style-wise. Cause, like, well, it's very 60s, because it just feels very, like... It almost feels like you're just watching someone go on vacation. Yeah. yeah. So it's a very short movie, but it feels like a long... It's one of the shortest Bond movies, but it feels like the longest it's movie a very, we watch. Doctor No is a very slow movie, for sure. As and we discussed earlier, this one and uh, Thunderball take place in the Caribbean. This one, specifically Jamaica. And uh, you really get a nice look of Jamaica, anyway. No, like you, get, you get some great... You know, it's it's James Bond. I associate with like really cool location shooting. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a lot of rear projection, but they are on location for a lot of the shots. Lots of exotic spaces. No, and it's like it's kind of like you're getting to see stuff that you don't get to see. You mm-hmm. know, you're getting to see cool, luxurious well, boats. And, and not only that, but dragons. You know, they really they really entrench themselves in the culture too. Like that, so there's the nightclub scene where yeah. they're, he's finally formally sitting down with Felix Leiter and his helper Quarrel, and uh, there's the band that's Puss playing Feller. in the background. Yeah, Puss Feller's Club. Yeah, Puss Feller. Still call me that, guys. <laughs> but uh, no, there's uh, there's the, the band. Uh, that's a real band, and at the time, that was the biggest band in Jamaica. It's Byron Lee and the Dragonaires. They paid them $2. Oh, shit. No kidding? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's Byron Lee and the Dragonaires, who continued to be the biggest band in Jamaica for decades after Dr. No, and the song that they're playing in the film, I think they wrote for the film. Nice. And it just kind of took on a life of its own down there in the local culture. Hmm. So yeah, the opening, it starts with the classic James Bond theme, like coming right out the gate, and then we got sexy lady silhouettes. Well, see, and then that... we got two other songs. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then it just piles on two other songs, but 
I uh, just realized that like when the three blind men are walking, it's a Jamaican version of three blind mice play. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't realize that at the time. Oh, no, that's cute. It's it's, it's it must fun. have been hot. I mean, I was high. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fun. You know that this is the first film, so it's still you know. But so much of what is it's, James it's, Bond is there. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's 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 more of a proto film than anything. You know, they're still trying to work some kinks out here and there. It's not all there, but the all. All the elements are there. You know, you have the gun barrel opening. You have the gun have, barrel opening. You have you have M. You well, have Money even, Penny. You have the opening title sequence by Maurice Bender, who would go on to do the title. He didn't do From Russia with Love and Goldfinger. And he's very missed in From Russia with Love. We'll, we'll talk, talk about. We'll, yeah. we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But you, you also know. have Q in, uh, but not in name. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, the title sequence is just super all over the place, lavish with the colors and whatnot. And even though. For the most part, it's just like a bunch of like dots shooting all over the screen, and then it goes into the people dancing and stuff. These title sequences would get way more lavish down the line to where they would eventually become parodied in other films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have M, you have Money Penny, Money Penny. You have an early iteration of Q pre Desmond Llewellyn Q. Uh, the exotic locations, the evil villains like all the elements are here but it's it's still like not here you know no and it's it's almost a throwback villain with he's like borderline fu manchu doctor no very yeah, much so he's like he's he's supposed to be mixed mixed descent you know he's german like, german and chinese racially and ambiguous they had to use uh makeup applications to make joseph wiseman appear more asian just like with the one <laughs> secretary lady who tries to set him up later on she was not really an Asian actor, so they just use oh. makeup applications to Dude, make is her that Asian. Fucking yellow face? <laughs> what the fuck, bro? <laughs> no, I know. Right? We did it. Holy <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> Organic smiling uh, friends reference. <laughs> but uh Wow, it, that's great. Yeah. It's kinda of weird that there's not that they have all these Asian like main hey. characters, but you also have like Asian like actors in the background and whatnot. Hey, yeah, you know but... what though? At least the Asian application yellow face in Doctor No is nowhere near as hilariously offensive as it is later on in You Only Live Twice. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say like breakfast at Tiffany's or something. Oh, oh no, no, I'm st- I'm sticking stay in the franchise. Yeah, I'm sticking with the franchise, although that is the most horrible, awful racist yellow face in interpretation ever but no there uh have you seen you only live twice the one in japan i don't think so that one they actually try to make sean connery look japanese to oh. go incognito and it does not look good it's like it's like taking the squinty eyes yeah it's, it's and they give him a wig to make him look like he has japanese hair it's not good yeah sam's gonna pull up I'm a gonna, picture I'm gonna pull it up so just... it's pretty much the bond version of them turning uh john wayne into uh what's when, his name when brando, when brando was asian that one time when was that it's a really weird movie where he's he plays like a samurai or something. Uh, no, no, no. He's not a samurai. He's uh he's he's um shit. What's his name? It, it the it's like it's called the Conqueror and it's based off of uh, Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. No, you're thinking of the John Wayne one. I'm thinking of the Marlon Brando one. Oh, sorry, I, I misheard that one. Yeah. Okay. Here you yeah, go. Yeah, you know that movie gave John Wayne cancer. Oh wow. Hey, he looks like Leonard Nimoy. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, you know what? It, it, yeah, he just his, needs the pointy ears. His, his, yeah, his uh, maternal neck and some and some pointy ears, and he's fucking. His Asian face is very similar to Vulcan makeup. Prosper, <laughs> live long and prosper. Suppose you won't be living long and prospering. But another thing about Doctor No, like the character Doctor No, is, uh, you know, like 
you think that they'd start off a little more grounded, you know, but then you have Dr. No with his robot hands. It's a very generic Saturday morning serial. That's what I'm saying. It's villain. like, it's almost, it's like a Fu Manchu type of thing. Like, yeah. It's too much, you it's, know, there's but. There's a lot going on. And, and they are like, they're really good at anything except for gripping a thing when you need to live. Yeah. He's good at crushing things, just not gripping things. Oh, oh no. <laughs> you hand him a hundred Buddha statues and he'll crush them no problem. I but... guess that was a hollow Buddha statue. Yeah, probably. Do you think it had a tiny monk skeleton in there? <laughs> oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> no, but then, you know, you put him on an elevator sinking into heavy water, you know, he's not going to grip onto that support beam for to save his life. <laughs> I know, and he's, you can tell the look at his face like, oh, I shouldn't have engaged him here. <laughs> My hands are really bad at gripping slick surfaces yeah between the three villains we have for this trilogy he's the one that does the least well and he has he objectively has better strength than he's he's he does the least well and has the most over-the-top plan that doesn't make much sense because it's like you know with from russia with love you have pretty much a bunch of uh spies trying to disinform their enemies no it's, it's that's typical, very cool very it's tip, very hitchcock very typical cold war scenario and then even thunderball you know it's essentially guy hijacks a couple of nuclear warheads and threatens to use them if his demands aren't met very if, basic if my diamonds aren't met yeah <laughs> and then in this dr no he's got like a big old like Nice island yeah, resort, he's laboratory. He's toppling rockets to... With radio signals. Piss, yeah. With radio signals? Yeah, yeah. it's not even... Or he's it, using the radiation to power the satellite. He's re- using radiation to power the satellite to hit the rockets so that he can stop the space program. And embarrass America. Yeah. The the government that shunned him. Yep. E- One that, of them. Either that or he's trying to like, you know, uh, minimize the noise complaints at his resort. He's also, but he says would, that the island imagine, is disposable. I would imagine, though, that him disrupting the Americans' rocket uh, program could very easily, at this point in time, be blamed on the Soviets. No, which would heat up the Cold War mm-hmm. and start a war, an actual that's, war. That's what all these are about—is just getting us to fight with the Russians. Exactly. And I only keep calling this place a resort because, like, I don't know. There's these nice. It's like I got a hotel section. Hotel spaces for prisoners, but there's also prison cells for prisoners. (laughs) But you know, I think I realize why they have Spectre is so that you can have villains that aren't associated with any ethnicity. Yeah, it's like uh, Hydra. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. So that's exactly what it's like. But it's funny you mentioned that because you know, originally going back, Ian Fleming didn't create Spectre, right? Going back, well, he didn't a hundred percent complete it. But going back to the books. Spectre was not even in Dr. No, like in the Dr. No novel. Dr. No uh, was pretty much just an independent asshole in the, in the, in the book, I believe. Oh, uh, he didn't work for like... I'm Asians. an independent asshole, Mr. Bond. <laughs> but uh, Spectre didn't debut until Thunderball, which we're going to cross that. There's a whole lot There's of... There's a really interesting to... story. But... Can't wait to talk about that. Yeah. yeah, so Dr. No, it's... We always, you know, we joke about how like Batman Begins, it's like, oh, it's really weird how they shoehorn in the Joker there at the end, you know, mm-hmm. like. But Doctor No has all these elements of James Bond like right out the gate. You yeah, know? 
It's like you have Felix Leiter, who's like now he's played by Jeffrey Wright, but he is like a one of the fixtures of the series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have everyone at the MI6 headquarters, Money Penny. You immediately establish their rapport, and you know, and you know, Which you know, cute. looking at looking at the the recent Bond films, you know, they got Ralph Fine to play. Yeah, uh, he's a perfect M. He's a great he M. He is. I love he looks M. just like Bernard Lee. As no, and M. like <laughs> Ray Fiennes is one of my favorite actors. Like period. Like so, like at the end of Skyfall, seeing him take up the mantle, I was just like, oh, okay, we're back in now. Like, yeah, the women in, are the women aren't in charge anymore. We're, we're, <laughs> Thanks, thanks for making what I said seem shitty. <laughs> I'm just, Fucking I'm asshole. Just, I, just, <laughs> I just made the subtext text breaks. Uh, you're going to have to bold italicize it, though. Yeah, exactly. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> well, now that Judy Dench is gone, it's back but, um, to me, old boy. But no, yeah, I, I thought I thought he was a great choice to play the new M, and I like that the new M is more of a physical character in these movies than ever before. Ever really. before. No, that was the best part of Spectre. Was like he's like, well, I'm going into the field. Damn it. Yeah, exactly. He just—it's like, okay, I'm—I'm I'm gonna go kick your ass myself. <laughs> I mean, even Judy Dench did a little bit of it. In, no, she uh, did in Skyfall. 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 And even Judy Dench is awesome. Even in even in World is not enough. You know, M goes out into the field and gets promptly captured, but still. Is oh yeah, like I forgot about that. <laughs> trying to fight Electra King. <laughs> so, do you think like M would be? Is he like a former MI6 operative? I imagine so. Yeah, I, I'd say so. He's, he's probably not unlike Ray Fine's character in The King's Man. Yeah. I like to think that or in he's... Skyfall. Yeah, he probably fought Moriarty. Not Moriarty. Um, yeah. He pr- no, um, not Moriarty. Fucking, he was Moriarty. Oh, no, uh, he wasn't. Um, but no, Rasputin. He, yeah, he fought Rasputin. <laughs> <laughs> I still need to see those movies. I want to. You know, we could do the Kingsman trilogy one of these days. Yeah, that'd I would be a fun like trilogy. To, if you want to see like America's over or a Scotsman's over caffeinated response to James Bond. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> but um. Yeah, no, it's it's very interesting seeing all these tropes brought up so early on. No, yeah, because like the, the spy film. movie, this is the first version where spies are like and, really sexy and badass. And mm-hmm. and you know, it, even Doctor No, you know, as much of like a Fu Manchu kind of ripoff as he is, he still resonated enough with the fans of this franchise to where people were wholly convinced Rami Malek was going to be Dr. No eventually in No I Time to Die. I think they did that on purpose. Yeah, I know. And It's like Khan. Yeah. It's like, it's not Khan. But if they didn't do it. It's not Khan. Okay, it's Khan. Uh, yeah, we got you. <laughs> Which they unfortunately didn't do, but I can also see why they didn't do it. But No Time to Die is a whole other two-plus-hour discussion in itself. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> And back in the you know younger Benedict Cumberbatch would have been a pretty good bunt. Yeah, probably. Yeah, he's almost too tall. Give, yeah. him a, give him a few more years, he might even make a good M, I would say. Oh, yeah. Oh, or a Q. Yeah. Maybe, Q. yeah. I don't know, but we got Ben Wishaw, and he'll be young forever. He'll be, a while. He'll be there for a while, much like uh, the, the first Q. Exactly, <laughs> so, but um, uh, yeah. So, what are what are his gadgets this time? It's nothing. Nothing. A gun. Yeah, yeah. It's just, <laughs> a gun. <laughs> We've got a new. Who needs courage when you have the only, a gun? <laughs> the only the only real hidden thing in this movie is the cyanide cigarettes that the villains use. Yeah, I know. Which I'm like. Later on, Sean Connery's like smoking a cigarette in Doctor No's office. I'm like, I wouldn't be smoking their cigarettes, dude. <laughs> you don't know. But, but the villains also have really crazy things like a dragon. Well, he has a whole. He has he has a staff Who? at his Doctor No. 
like that their whole resort oh, slash yeah. <laughs> evil hideout. Like there's a staff and you see them all evacuating at the end and like presumably they all die. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, yeah, that, do they all know rooms. that they're involved in evil or are they just like, yeah, we're just in this weird private island. It's it's a it's a living. Yeah, I don't know how uh, we need hiring. some poison coffee for room three. <laughs> I don't know how hiring for a, a big evil organization like Spectre works. Do they have an HR department? They got to right. You can't just have people sexually but harassing then, each other willy nilly. But on I Dr. mean, like, Nose how Island. how would that work though? Like you saw in Thunderball, he fucking fries the guy in their meeting room. That's got to be an HR violation of some sort. No, but that's the executives. Uh, all right, cool. So they have their own <laughs> HR department. and... That's Blow. That's Blofeld. <laughs> I'm the HR department. Come, come to me with any of your complaints. I promise I won't murder you. Move a little bit to the left. <laughs> it's like in uh, it's like in the one episode of Family Guy where Peter's property becomes its own country, and Adam West tries to get rid of him, and he sends him down the trap door, but he gets stuck. And he's like, oh. My my wider trap door for my fatter opponents isn't installed yet. Come back in a week and it'll be installed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, or in uh, the Simpsons when they drop the three hundred kilogram like weight on him, it's like ow. It's like ah, sounded like a lot when I ordered it. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, so another, one of my favorite moments in this, though, is the actual Bond introduction that we get like at the very beginning when he's in the casino, which I learned from watching the making of. So I went is back. Is like a soft homage to Casino Royale? No. The, okay. the intro, Bond's intro, the way they shot it. So for those of you that haven't seen it, which if you haven't, what the fuck? Why are you here? We're spoiling everything. Yeah, <laughs> We're really, spoiling everything for the 60-year-old really movie. really misinterpreted how this show works. <laughs> I, I imagine anybody just comes on here and will listen to <laughs> but, it um, so they can use those opinions to talk about that, how they've seen the movie. But anyways, uh, so you know, it's shot primarily over the shoulder, the hands. Yeah, I see his hands dealing the cards. Silhouetted. Apparently, that was lifted from a 1939 Paul Muni film called Juarez, where his character is introduced the same way. Paul Muni is a fucking legend, you guys. Yeah. He's the original Scarface. <laughs> yes, he is. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's he played really played Beethoven. He played Louise Pasteur. He played an Asian guy in The Bitter Earth. Yeah. There's a great scene where they're eating dirt. Paul Muni. Yeah, yeah they come yeah. in, they're like, the, the, the village is starving, so they come in, they're like beating him up, and they're like, we st- we smell that you're cooking, where's the food? And then they go into the pot, and he's just eating dirt. <laughs> oh, Jesus. But yeah, like, so yeah, help yourself, dude. His intro in Juarez is what inspired the intro for Bond in the casino That's in dope. Dr. No. What's Juarez hmm. about? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> is it a spy movie or No, it's I think it's a it's a western. It takes place oh, in like the, Mexico. Like a Me- yeah. Mexico like turn of the century, I think. Cool. But uh yeah, so then we get the intro and you know obviously the the intro works. First intro is he's like lighting the cigarette and Bond. they ask him what his name James is. Bond. James Bond. And that arguably is one of the most iconic lines in Hollywood history. Like, no, and like that's the, the way. Pe- anytime been... you see like a documentary that's about James Bond, like that's the shot that they're going to use to open it up. Pretty exactly. much exactly. And uh, or if they're going to show like a little montage of everything, him introducing himself, because you know there's plenty of actors that have done it. They're always going to start with Sean Connery and Doctor No. But uh, and you know even later on, you know parodies like that line has been that introduction has been parodied to fucking death now 60 years later yeah yeah pretty much no and it's um 
I remember when Archer first came out, I was like really over spy parodies, but it kind of re it kind of re rewrote the uh, I don't know it kind of attacks like the actual misogyny and misanthropy at the heart of James Bond. Yeah, it's like what yeah. if this what if you actually had to work with this guy? What if MI6 had an HR department that was effective, kinda? It was Pam with her <laughs> with her with her dolphin puppet. <laughs> yeah, oh. Pam really changed. Yeah, Pam Pam used to be one of the sane ones. Yeah. I, need, I need to go back and rewatch Archer from the beginning. I I strayed way too far from that show and I remember loving it so there's, much. There's no bad episodes. No. It's yeah, a, I, I agree. It's amazing. But, uh, yeah, you have the classic Bond intro right out of the gate here in the opening titles. So, like, one thing that isn't established in Dr. No is the pre-title sequence. So, the normally, yeah. traditionally, the way these films open, you have the gun barrel, and the gun barrel, will, after it bleeds all over itself, will widen up into the first shot of the movie, and we'll have uh, something happen. You yeah, it'll know? be in some random location. Nice little cold open. And then we'll go into the title sequence. They don't do that here. They go straight into the opening titles, and it is the original James Bond theme composed by Monty Norman and John yeah, Barry. To another song. Yeah, and then you have it goes into other songs, more like Caribbean flavor sounding music, and a lot of bongo drums going and. And then it's, it ends with the three blind mice as yes. it fades yeah. on the blind, blind guys who reveal themselves to be assassins. Oh, shit. Surprising, shoot an MI6 guy. Surprisingly violent for a big Hollywood early 60s movie. I mean, like, the only other movie I can think of that was, like, blatantly violent like this up to this point is probably Psycho. Like, no, and yeah, like, and yet it's not until um, Thunderball that I see a lot of blood. Yeah, blood yeah. was a big no-no up at, uh, at this but point. But the implied still, violence think. is very heavy because then the then the next shot is the secretary. Uh, she's opening up her hidden radio thing, and then she gets blown away. Yeah, she gets shot to death right there on the spot with a nice little jump cut in there too. And Which I imagine that's in there. I imagine at the time that was very shocking. <gasps> you know, just seeing like people that have no distinct, like you don't know what, what's happening to them. They're just getting blown away. You know. Yeah. yeah. But no, it's it's still fun though. It's still fun seeing this proto interpretation of the character really kind of get it find itself. The pacing is a little off, but you know, it's pacing I still is like little off. detective shit like, you know, putting dust on your briefcase or putting the hair on your closet to see well, if it, someone was in there. Or even, how he like walks around the crime scene being like, "Oh, what's this?" Well, yeah. not only that, but you notice though when he's doing that, he's like he's not just grabbing shit. He's like lifting it with pencils and stuff like yeah. a crime scene investigator and it's like, you know, I feel like we don't really see a lot of that from here on. Like I feel well, like this like, is one of the wasn't only until... instances. Yeah, it wasn't until the new Batman that we got Batman being a detective again, you know? Yeah, exactly. for real. It's like, yeah, you're not supposed... Your job is to investigate, you know? Like, it is... It's intelligence. You know, you cur know? currently... Uh, I, I forget what the, the company's called, but the, the makers of the Hitman games are working on a new James Bond video game, and we don't have any details about it whatsoever. We don't know if it's... Uh, it's set in current present day or if it's going to be a period thing at all we have no idea what's going on that i mentioned last night when we were watching dr no that is one of the elements i hope that they bring back to the character in the gameplay at least is the detective angle and then something that is interesting i, I would argue that like if you put snake plissken into a james bond movie you essentially get metal gear solid right pretty much i i, I think so maybe like maybe you, a 90s James Bond movie. 
you yeah. also you also have Sean Connery doing a lot of interrogations throughout this movie as well. Yeah, no, which and is then something you don't really get going forward. So yeah, he gets tailed by the guy, or no, no, he's a uh, he he gets picked up by a military dude who is pretending to be like the liaison. And then yeah, he, he gets figures pick- it out and beats the shit out of the dude. Yeah, <laughs> and then he's about to interrogate him, and the guy kills himself. Yeah, the guy's like, just <laughs> give me a cigarette, and then he bites through the cigarette, and it's a cyanide capsule. It's like ah shit. Well, I fucked that up. <laughs> It's like yeah, there's a lot of a lot of just like uh, I'll die. Um, it's just like I don't know, what can they really do to you? That's I guess you have family. Probably family. Yeah, kingpin rules. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I like to uh, kill everyone I care about. I like the encounter with the photographer lady in the in Pussfellers Club, where they're literally about to break her arm, and she's just like, "No, go ahead, break it." Like, I don't yeah, care. And she smashes the, <laughs> the flash, flash bulb. bulb and cuts the guy's face. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I really expected her to come back somehow. Nah, she didn't. No, she didn't. No. Do you think she got killed? Eh, probably. Maybe not. Maybe. I don't know. And uh, our first proper Bond girl. Honey Rider. Honey Rider, who <laughs> has the most icon- one of the most iconic introductions coming out of the water with her. Ursula Andress in the white bikini coming out of the, the ocean knife. with the knife and, and the, the shells. And the belt. And the belt, yeah, the it's, belt bikinis to hold up her knife. It's yep. it's an it's not just an iconic image for this franchise. It's an iconic image for cinema in general. I think going forward because you don't really see shit like that in movies in the 1960s. No. Yeah, I know that was like <laughs> that's a lot of skin you're showing there, buddy. That's the most gratuitous <laughs> they could get. Yeah, and, it was, yeah, it's, and it's only more gratuitous from here. Yeah, but like her backstory is bonkers yeah <laughs> she's got a really crazy backstory where she was like she went around the world with her father because different... yeah she's she's there stealing shells because they're valuable in miami she's like this shell's worth 50 dollars in miami which is like that's bullshit <laughs> we have seashells down here and even then who the fuck's gonna pay 50 dollars for a conch shell in 1960 <laughs> probably some fucking tourists yeah probably it's to a Florida. tourist it's maybe, maybe she's just a prostitute and she gives them seashells <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah. She, she's got this whole backstory of how, like, you know, she, her father was a marine biologist. They, she, we would go anywhere that had shells. Yeah, so she travels around the world with her father. Her father. That's why my accent is so ambiguous. Her father is then killed by Dr. No, supposedly. Presumably. Yeah. And then she's, like, staying on with this guy who's letting her stay in his apartment for free. But then he rapes her and she murders him with a Black Widow spider and. And yeah, she's like, "Did I do wrong?" And Sean Connery's like, "Don't make a habit out of it." And was it you who said, "Like Sam?" Was it Sam who was like, "Don't make a habit out of killing your rapist?" Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is a debate we still have a lot. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, it's 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 interesting that they don't really follow up on much of this though. No, and like they she drop so, it. And so then... her her uncle was her father was killed by Doctor No, and her revenge is I sneak in and steal some of his shells. Yeah, there's not even like and she gets to confront Doctor No face to face in a scene, and there's like no doesn't say anything about it. Like I don't even think Doctor No brings up how her father. I know was it's like you took everything from me. I don't me. even I, know I don't who even you know are. Who we <laughs> anyway, we don't get it. We don't get a proper backstory payoff until Thunderball. Yeah, <laughs> and the really bonkers thing is like, oh, you must. He's like, oh, you must have gone to a nice school, and she's like, no, we had this encyclopedia. I started reading when I was eight, and now I am up to the T's. I probably know more than you. And we were like, "Not you don't know anything about zebras. Or wagons. Or wagons, or yo-yos, <laughs> or wheels. <laughs> Just like, and we did the math. It's like, what fucking encyclopedia are you reading where you can only do a letter a year? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it was like a really big one. Like, maybe, maybe it's she's, she's, like, she's on the T's. 
the ones before that was S, and she read about shells, and that's all she cared about. That's her personality from here on. I like <laughs> shells. Yeah, she maybe she hasn't actually finished the tea book to find her favorite thing in the teas. Like, uh, well, it's not like an encyclopedia series. She just said an encyclopedia, which inclu- indi- which would indicate it's that abridged. it's one book. It's abridged as fuck. Oh yeah, good point. <laughs> she's she's she is not all there. Yeah. <laughs> But you know what? She has the distinction of being the first official Bond girl. Oh, yep. and she's hot, so. so who cares? Yeah, exactly. Ursula Andress would Why later... give her that whole line? It's like, I think he killed my father. She later went on to play uh, the female lead in uh, Slave of the Cannibal God, which was a pretty good cannibal Holocaust era uh, Italian cannibal film. Wow. Yeah, Italian cannibal films. There's, there's oh, got to be a couple trilogies there. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm drawing the line there. No. Oh, I'm, I'm going to cross that Why? line. I'm not doing it. I'm not watching Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going back, man. Pussy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what, you don't want to watch the turtles? You don't want to watch the turtles getting Mario'd? No, no, I, I do not want to watch. I do not want to watch. But, uh, oh. Anyway, so back to James Bond. <laughs> Something we really want I want to really want to discuss is uh, the dragon that lives on oh. the island. Oh yeah, they're like <laughs> there's a dragon. Oh, it's probably local superstition. Probably started by no Dr. and like no. <laughs> the local Jamaicans believe that there's a dragon. Honey yeah. Riders like oh yes, there is a dragon. I have seen it. Coral <laughs> brings it up quite a bit. And then when we see it, it's it's day for night, so you can't really. It's yeah, very, you can barely see it's it. It's very bleached out shot but like it's clearly a big metal car yeah <laughs> it looks a, a lot like the killdozer and it has a couple flamethrowers which are cool and coral is like if that's not a dragon then what is it it's like well that's a we call that a car coral <laughs> <laughs> he only knows boats and he's like oh it is a dragon but one that's running on diesel <laughs> and also it's got a big old toothy smile cut up in front of it yeah and you pointed out that it's actually cut pieces of metal yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not just painted. It'd be cool I, if, like, when it gets close, it's like, ah, and it just bites up. Oh, that would have been so cute if it just, like, bit Quarrel. I, I remember when we were talking about this, it reminded us a lot of the scene from the first Austin Powers where Michael yeah. McDonald is no! facing down with a steamroller. Yeah, no! and it just takes forever. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, granted, the flamethrower, unlike Austin Powers' steamroller, the flame, the the dragon does have flamethrowers, which have a pretty good range. But at the same time, but you time, could have escaped because yeah, the, Coral's sitting there in the bush shooting it with a revolver, and it, and this fucking thing is on the other side of the beach. You have dozens and dozens of minutes to your <laughs> to your side. You know, like why? Yeah, why quarrel? It's not yeah, until gotta... pilots get out that we see that they have actual guns. No, and then yeah, they're like, okay, just fuck it. Just go around with the guns. <laughs> and, and you, you can tell this is a very early 60s villain uh, henchman squad because they have the machine guns that are side-loaded, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like the Europeans. <laughs> Dirty Europeans. This is why we seceded from the European Union. No. In the future. Yeah. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch, <laughs> but no, it's it's fun. It's a it's a fun slab of early '60s action. I love the car chase that we get in this, where the car just careens off the side. Just oh yeah, and just cars just, explode for no reason in these a movies. Fireball, like it's insane. And they were like, saying, and and people say that shit back in the '60s was built better. That's bullshit yeah, yeah that shit exploded for no reason <laughs> you guys were even later on do you guys remember the pinto and how fucking disastrous that was <laughs> like bullshit <laughs> stuff or older older stuff was built better yeah it's like we didn't have peanut butter allergies when i was a kid we just had a bunch of friends who died for no reason 
<laughs> they weren't strong enough. <laughs> so it's no like, flakes. <laughs> so here's an idea I've had, which is that in, in some ways, James Bond represents the ideals of his time. Okay, how mm-hmm. so? So Sean Connery is our boomer James Bond, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Roger Moore is our 70s slash 80s excess Bond. Very much so, yeah. yes. <laughs> and then Pierce Brosnan is just 90s Bond where it's a kind of Gen X. And there's a level of nihilism, but also a lot of money being spent somehow. And yeah. then, of course, there's George Lazenby for five minutes where it's literally 1969 and free love is everywhere and he fucks every woman in that facility. That's nice. true. <laughs> That's got the best theme song. Like, though. he literally goes room to room at one point just banging all these chicks in one night, and it's awesome. <laughs> he's got it. He's got to have diseases, right? <laughs> uh, maybe Q has a pill for him. Yeah, it's they called that, that radioactive joke. pill he swallowed in Thunderball. Yeah, <laughs> they make that joke in Austin Powers, where it's like, "Did you have protection?" It's like, "Yes, I had my nine millimeter automatic." Uh, like, condoms are for sailors. Condoms are for sailors. They're not for sailors. Well, they are to wear them. They go port to port. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's like, oh, you did well. I appreciate okay. Austin Powers on a whole new level after watching these. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's they're a, really very spot on. That's a trilogy I would very much like to revisit one day because it's been a minute since I've seen those. Absolutely, I would be yes. <laughs> the only thing I love more than Michael Myers is Mike Myers. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Mike Myers from the hit comedy The Love Guru. Oh, and the Cat in the Hat. <laughs> Cat in the Hat is great. <laughs> okay, let's just, do you guys remember Alec Baldwin as the stepdad in that? Yeah, that's so weird. <laughs> and he's got like the Dr. Seuss brand beer. Yeah, the, the greatest, the greatest thing Cat in the Hat gave us is the meme template where Mike Myers is just sneaking up behind him to kill bat. the kid with the bat. There's a lot of great meme templates, like when he like. He takes out a like a pinata and then he hangs himself to be a pinata. <laughs> yeah. And then he gets hit in the balls with a bat. And then he like suddenly flashes and screams to him like uh, swinging in a swing on, in, a, in a dress. And it's like I don't remember any of this. Wait, what the fuck are you yeah. talking about? <laughs> no, this is a real thing in the movie, guys. I'm telling you. I told you it's brilliant. It's such, a, it's such a shame they never did a third live action Seuss movie because that would be a terrible trilogy to revisit. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, it's like you'd start off on a, a high note with the Grinch, go into a really low note with. We Cat could go Hat. back and watch uh, the the uh, Million Hands of Doctor Splurdunker or whatever the fuck. <laughs> Doctor Splurdunker. It's like the one movie written by Doctor Seuss. Oh God, I'll bet that's awful. Oh God, the Million Hands, which. Of- on a side note, have y'all ever seen the old uh, private snafu cartoons that Dr. Seuss used to write for? No. Oh, I've never man. heard of it. Private Snafu was a uh, World War II propaganda series and uh, very racist, very fucking oh, dated. Those. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. Uh, and Dr. Seuss wrote some of those as Theodore Geisel before he was known as Dr. Seuss. And holy shit, they're fucking racist. They're so what about, racist. What if as a villain instead of Dr. No was Dr. Seuss and like the whole <laughs> island is Dr. Seussy? <laughs> We're going to bing bang you with these bing bongers. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready to talk now, Mr. Bond? The trees, what the fuck is going on? The, the trees look like fucking Seuss landing Cotton in Islands of Adventure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, there's like tanks full of man-eating fish 
one fishes and two fishes and three fishes and blue fishes. All the all the guards are wearing thneeds. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he's getting away. <laughs> the dragon is just like a silly, kooky-looking fucking vehicle. <laughs> it looks just like Cat in the Hat's yeah. car <laughs> with the with the, uh, with the robot hands like gloves at the end. Yeah, thing one and thing two are the heavies. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like big guys that are just dressed like thing one and thing two <laughs> with blue hair. Just blue hair, yeah. Oh man, uh, I think we need to go ahead and rate these things before we get too wacky. Yeah, like so, the rest of the franchise. <laughs> exactly. We're not going to get Sue's so, yeah, of wackiness so, for a while. So, Doctor, no, it's a little slow, but we get so many of the good elements here. Yes, it's the true genesis of the whole series. No, and like very few franchises, uh, with the exception of Nightmare on Elm Street, come out so complete. Yeah. So honest and just like, like Friday one is not the Friday franchise at all. Halloween yeah. one arguably is still not the franchise. Yeah, I mean Halloween is a different franchise because it's it's yeah I that one comes out swinging on its own terms and never needed a franchise. Yeah, James Bond <laughs> in terms of something that's setting up for a franchise, mm-hmm. James Bond is one of the best. Like we every, have we have so much here. that's laid out. You have Spectre. You have you have M. You have everything. It's and it's like so more so than. Being a good movie on its own, this was like I'm really fucking psyched to watch. From I mean, like, we don't love. Mm-hmm. We don't. We don't have everything yet. Like the the set pieces are still pretty scaled back. We don't have gadgets yet. Desmond Welland isn't Q yet. However, I like that he beats the fuck out of people though. Yes, yes. there's a very visceral. Like he flips the guy. You know, he does some moves. Yeah, like, you, you actually believe. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, like you could tell that he he knows some fucking shit. Like, yeah, I didn't know that Sean Connery like did some actual fucking fighting. You know, it's at the at the so end of the day, at the end of the day, this character is first and foremost an assassin. He's a murderer for hire. Exactly. He's a he's a glorified hitman, and we get that in at least in these first two movies, first and foremost, and it's so fucking great. I'm gonna so, give this one a seven out of ten. Yeah, seven out of ten. I'd agree. Yeah, uh, I'd, I would a, just give it a seven out of ten too, because like. You like I said, the pacing. 007 out of ah. 10. Ah. Nerds. Nah. But yeah, it's a, it's, it can be silly. It can be slow. But it's a real uh, trendsetter for the franchise and gives you a good picture of what's to come. Yeah, but um, ah, fuck. Let's, get this, get let's just go straight yes. into From Russia With Love. From Russia With Love. Donald Red Grant had a simple job. Steal a decoding device from a Russian clerk who was sent on a fake defecting mission by undercover Spectre agents in order to take the decoding device somewhere in the process for Spectre. But he didn't count on his favorite drunken training dummy, James Bond, to be on the case. Despite trying to kill Bond with spy wars and gypsy wars, Red only wants to kill Bond himself. Just when Red has Bond exactly where he wants him, gloating the entire plan to him, he dies. We're <laughs> <laughs> so kind of doing it from the perspective of the villains. Yes. <laughs> the real heroes of these plots. <laughs> really, you know, Robert Shaw, great villain, great heavy. But really fucked it up. You really know? fucked it yeah. up at all the that, last minute. Yeah, all you, that training for nothing. <laughs> you literally could have just shot shot James Bond right there in front of you, but instead, but James Bond was like, "What about gold? What? <laughs> what if I give you gold? Ooh, yes, gold doubloons, Whoa. nuggets, Whoa. bars. Why just spill your beans? Oh, I just spill your 
Bean. Sam won't get that reference for another few days until we watch The Lighthouse. I can't wait. I've been watching The Vich and uh, The North Man. Yeah. Which, that'll be a fun trilogy to visit next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd be down for that. The Eggers trilogy. Why but, uh, just spill your Eggers? <laughs> <laughs> From Russia with Love, like I said earlier, is my favorite film in the franchise. For overall. real. Probably no, the it's like, best. It's that classic sequel thing where it's like, we've laid the groundwork. Time to build. Time to have fun, man. Mm-hmm. And this film is bigger than Dr. No in every way, except for maybe set design. <laughs> I mean, we still get a lot of sets. Yeah, but I mean, we don't get giant we don't have radio cool, room. We don't have this big, silly uh, island resort exactly. villain layer. Yeah, the, in Dr. No, the radio room is kind of a classic James Bond thing, just a big room with a lot of dials. And yeah. Yeah, we gloss over the fact that he did the classic thing where you... Um, you kill somebody and you take their outfit. Yeah. Oh yeah, we just gloss over that. That's my favorite spy thing, just to like <laughs> kill a guy and wear his clothes. But no, but this this one is very much on the road and we way have more a lot grounded. Of great, like uh, we, we got a great a lot of great places we visit, such as uh, uh, Istanbul. No, and or we is also it Constantinople. Have... Oh, <laughs> it's a they might be giants joke. Sorry, no, ah. might, for the they might be giants fans. There you go. No, and like, we also have something that's never been done in the James Bonds, which is him hanging out with a girl from the previous movie. Yeah, we had yeah. so the casino lady Sylvia Trench. So that that's an interesting thing with this is you know for the most part these films are very self-contained, very just kind of drop in and out. But this is one of the few instances where we actually get continuity carried over between films. So mm-hmm. you know, and it's not only him hanging out with Sylvia Trench again, you know. And on the Spectre side of things, you have them referencing Doctor No yeah, and, and they, how they, James Bond killed him, and they want to get re- they want to fulfill the revenge clause in their name. <laughs> Can you uh, re- re- remind me, Sam, what Spectre stands for? Oh yeah, it's a special. It's a it's a it's an acronym, and okay, I have it right here. It's Special Executive for Counterintelligence, Terrorism, Revenge, and Extortion. There's a bunch of letters in there they're not acknowledging in the name Spectre. Like four. Or Intelligence, <laughs> or and. <laughs> it should actually, and they use SP from Special, so in fact, it should be, if you're going, if you're going by first letters only, it should be Sefkitrai. Ah, the Sefkitra. <laughs> a very uh, ancient Celtic uh, myth. Yeah. I feel like creature. we just summoned I know all about them, Highlander. <laughs> but, uh, no, so Spectre, again, is not in the From Russia With Love novel. The antagonists in the novel are an organization called Smirsh, which... Which I, is in this, right? Smirsh. Yeah, Smirsh is mentioned in this, but... Um, so Smirsh is like their Russia, the Russia thing that they rob. I I think no they ro- they rob some kind of Russian consulate. In, okay. In, yeah. In the, it's the, uh, in the film. It's where all the Russian agents were. Like uh, like Red kills a Russian agent and then parks the car with his body. Bul- in a front Bulgarian of, agent. A Bulgarian agent. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of Bulgarians. Um, a lot of playing off. You know, it's that classic British thing of playing off. You know, geopolitics. Yeah, geopolitical conflicts for your own gain. Yeah, you got the European superpowers coming into places with color and then uh, saying hey uh, those guys over there said you guys suck <laughs> are you gonna just sit down for that or are you gonna take these guns that i'm giving you and start a war <laughs> <laughs> no but uh this one is very much a way more grounded story than dr no is dr no 
straight up, he's using radio signals to topple the Cape Canaveral rocket program and provoke tensions between superpowers and all this other bullshit. Yeah, and this is more the political side of that, which is just creating we're gonna conflict disinform yeah. the enemy like straight straight up we're gonna f- give false information to the enemy lead them on and make them look like a bunch of assholes so the essential plot is there's a decoding device called the lector the russians have one and the allied powers want it but so Spect- does specter knows this because they want it as well so their plan is to stage a defection where this Russian cipher clerk will hand herself and the Lecter device over to British intelligence, who will then smuggle it across the border. Halfway across the border, though, Spectre will betray them, steal the device for themselves, and sell it on the black market to the highest bidder. It's a very simple plot to follow. Is you it? Pay attention, well, no, because it's, it, con- it's convoluted. Also, because well, it's, it's not just so she has to defect specifically to James Bond. Well, see that because they want her to come off as like wh- that you're in love with James Bond because you saw his picture while you were decoding. But, but also, like that's a trap, and they know that that's a trap. Well, see, but the, the British the whole, can't resist it, a challenge. It, it, it's got to be Bond though, because Spectre at the same time wants revenge for Doctor Nose yeah. killing. So they revenge is in their name. They can't not get revenge. Exactly, they have to live up to their name. So they have to get they 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 specifically request Bond in a way through this girl. So <laughs> now, but so the cold open is. James Bond sneaking into a mansion. Which, this is the first time we get an actual cold open. Yep. And Robert Ryan, who is a Quinn from Jaws. You mean Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw. Sorry, I keep doing that. <laughs> Robert Shaw, Quinn from Jaws. He's got a nice bleached crew cut. It's mm-hmm. Quint. Quint. <laughs> you know, Quinn, medicine woman. Um <laughs> No, this is a this is a great scene though. So and he he pulls the he's got the piano wire and the watch, one of my favorite things. Classic. Sneaks and up I, behind Sean Connery, fucking murders him. Yeah. James Bond is dead, and Never then the lights come back. on. And they're like, "Good work!" And then they pull the really detailed mask off of the guy, and it's just some asshole. It's just some <laughs> asshole who. So what does that guy think he's doing? Um, maybe uh, it could be uh. Um, uh, maybe. Are they like disguise yourself as James Bond and try to break in, and we're gonna try to stop you, but we won't murder you. Oh wait, <laughs> maybe he's a captured spy. You know, maybe he's a spy and he's like being used for. Uh, you maybe know, this is an audition. Games. It's a tra- no, it's, it's not a, an audition. It's, it's like it's a tra- like, it's like a training exercise for Grant. Yeah, it's a training no, exercise I... for Grant, but he doesn't know. That. Maybe he's like, if you survive this game, other double uh, O agent, perhaps we will let you live. But you have to wear this James Bond mask. Yeah, Why that's, though? It's kind of weird. All right. It makes no sense that Robert Ryan needs to be killing Robert a guy. Shaw. That Robert Shaw needs to. <laughs> 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 makes no sense that he needs to kill a guy that looks like James Bond. Like why? And then I'm like, oh well, he was he's an extorted murderer. It's like, wouldn't it be cool if we have a flashback where his wife was murdered by a Spectre hitman wearing the James Bond face, and that's why he wants revenge on James Bond? Yeah, you could even use the chess guy. Yeah, it would have been cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. Never mind. Oh, well. It would have been like, that's essentially the opening of Death Race 2000. <laughs> uh, no, Death Race, the remake with Jason Statham. Yeah, no. Oh, yeah, really? Well, he doesn't wear his face. Oh, yeah, I totally forgot about that. 
It's been no. forever since I've seen either of those movies, and I have them both upstairs, too. But anyway, another thing about uh, Spectre is that we get to see more of them, although we are on a boat, and we get to see Blofeld. Was there any establishing shot showing that it was a boat? I think so, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, we saw it was a boat. Okay. Maybe. I just don't remember that. I just remember like the camera guy looking drunk. Yeah, I, I guess maybe maybe you're right. We are maybe we are just kind of like thinking it's a boat. No, I, it, 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 I, it is. It's on supposed a boat. to be a boat, but I just don't remember an establishing shot. I, I, then they'll I think cut there, into it, and I forget that it's a boat. I think there is one. It's just they don't spend a lot of time on it. Um, or maybe it's like Roger Moore. That we meet. Remember how in Roger Moore Spectre, like for a lot of uh, movies, Spectre is on some kind of like weird I, middle of the ocean, like island out of like, like like not even in an island but it's like some kind of like structure that can like surface and like oh yeah the well you know it's funny some kind of like do, uh, like in spy who love like in hall. spy who love me yeah it's in spy who love me which coincidentally is one of the few books that specter is actually brought up in although specter they are not the primary antagonists of the spy who love me novel they're just mentioned, and it's assumed that they are still active and doing stuff around the world at this point in time. However, they did want to use Spectre and Blofeld as the main villains of The Spy Who Loved Me in the movie, but because of the legal drama that we're going to get into when we discuss Thunderball, they couldn't. Mm-hmm. So they changed it to Carl Stromberg and... But so uh, we get, we we get Blofeld, although we don't get the name Blofeld, and yeah, we, we get the cat in the hands. We get the cat in the hands, and he's named number one. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah, so Blofeld by name doesn't come up until like when that doesn't him. yeah doesn't come until uh, Donald Pleasance. Yeah, we, he's just Specter number one for Which the most part. Although, makes no sense, you although know, that this guy is Donald Pleasance when you're watching it. First of all, you see his hair, hair in some shots. <laughs> although he's cr- the, the stress of losing so many good villains over the years. He, he's actually he's actually credited as Blofeld in the end credits, but they don't give an actor's name. They just put like a little question mark in there, kind of like how they did in the opening credits of frankenstein when like the monster and the bride it's like question who is this they do this at the end credits of from russia lovey's ernst blofeld and it's yeah and it's a question mark so he's named in the credits but they don't ever bring his name up on screen until you only live twice in 1967 also trivia the cat's name is solomon cute little solomon (laughs) I just, kept thinking, I just kept thinking of Inspector Gadget, obviously. Oh, yeah. I there's mean, actually... Inspector Gadget. If you uh, pay attention, there's a fun bit where, you know, he's got his whole little monologue about the Siamese fighting fish, which isn't really an actual thing. But uh, he ta- there's a bit towards the end of this first scene where he takes the dead fish out of the tank and feeds it to his cat. Yeah. <laughs> it's cute. It's adorable. He can't be that bad if he's nice to his cat. I'll bet the cat's the one actually running things. That That's was, what I That was a thought. Futurama episode. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, cats turn out to be like uh, manipulating people, like puppets, to like <laughs> make the world go the opposite direction. But uh, but yeah, so this this is just a straight up espionage, Cold War espionage story. It's way more scaled back. You know, Ken Adam, the longtime production designer, was not on this one, which attributes uh, to why the sets aren't as huge and lavish as they always are. I mean, we got the the big uh, chess game set, yeah. which is somewhat lavish. But aside from that, you know, it's very plain, very yeah, it's on location the, looking. But that's kind of the Hitchcock side of it. It's This one is very much more Hitchcock, where it's trains, 
it's much more grounded, re- grounded uh, situations, except exactly. for like the, the gypsy village. <laughs> well, even that I feel like has some room for Hitchcock suspense in it. Like when you know you have uh, Grant watching from up above, oh, yeah. and he's like sniping dudes about to kill Bond left and right. Mm-hmm. I have been your guardian angel. Exactly. He's the architect of all his pain, maybe even. <laughs> but um, no, so um, again, though, it's still very much a proto version of what this series is going to go on to become because this is when the set pieces start to get a lot bigger in scale. They obviously have a much bigger budget to work with this time around, and they take advantage of it. The big, big set piece of this, of course, is on the water we have the specter boats chasing them yeah and they have these big barrels of fuel on their (laughs) tiny boat Mm -hmm. it's like well we got plenty of fuel for the journey and they get shot up and are leaking fuel so they release them into the water first he drinks a bunch of it yeah (laughs) (laughs) 50 proof good shit Ah, delicious and then he yeah but then then he he shoots it with a flare gun yeah very cool it's, it's a very great scene, one that they actually had to reshoot because you remember that scene early on in Tropic Thunder when Danny McBride, he, it's a misunderstanding and he hits the controls too early and totally wastes the napalm shot? Yep. Yeah, that literally happened to them on From Russia With Love. Everything God. got set off too early and it was a grand explosion, looked amazing. No one was rolling and <laughs> no one was ready for it. And so they had to cut, shut down for the day, come back the next day, because everything had to come back up from London. They shot this in Scotland, so everything had to come up from London. They had to reset this whole entire thing. When we have to blow shit up in England, we go to Scotland. Exactly. (laughs) It's nice and desolate. Yeah, nobody can tell the difference when we blow shit up down there. And, and of course, the other big set piece, which is way more of a Hitchcockian scene. It's cooler than Hitchcock because it makes sense. Is the helicopter scene uh, on the moors, where... uh, they're uh, fucking chasing him down with a helicopter. It's right out of North by Northwest. Yeah, but like in North by Northwest, they don't have a gun, right, on the plane? No, uh-uh. They're, they're just trying to they're run just him trying over to with run a plane because they don't have anything. It's well, they stupid. don't have well, they don't have guns on this helicopter either. But you yeah, know, they, they do. do have, they have grenades. They have grenades. Yeah. <laughs> Why shoot something when you can fucking bomb it from above? <laughs> yeah, but they don't know that. Bond has his travel sniper rifle, which leads us to the next big element formally introduced in this film. We have Desmond Llewellyn as Q for the first time. And not going to be the last. He stays around probably the longest... Uh, he, for any like supporting member when it comes to James Bond, does he franchise. stick around for the Roger Moore's? Yes, yeah, he does. He sticks wow. around for the Roger he, Moore's, he's the actually, Daltons, the Brosnans for until you know he dies. Really? So his first film in the series was From Russia with Love in '63. His final film in the series was The World Is Not Enough in 1999, and it was wow. only his final film because he died in a car accident that same year. So the only. The only there was only one film in that entire span. His, eject, his ejector seat malfunctioned. He forgot <laughs> to open the sunroof. Oh, <laughs> boo! Boo! But uh, there's boo. literally only one time he was not in one of these films, and that was *Live and Let Die* in 1973. He's not there. The gadgets are there, and he's referenced, but Desmond Llewellyn wasn't available for shooting. I don't think around so that time. So he just time. has a bunch of stuff. Yeah, so like he's given his special magnetized saw blade watch by uh, Money Penny in one of the early scenes. This is from Q. Yeah, it's like here he your watch sends is his back. Love. Yeah, he's like, hey, a Q Q branch returned your watch. It's all good to go now, and that's it. Yeah, good. Thank you. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, so Desmond Llewellyn, though, he was the longtime staple of the franchise throughout every iteration, every Bond actor, every M and Money Penny to come through. He was always the one that was still there. And he gives Bond his first real quote-unquote gadget in this one with the attache case with all the hidden stuff in it. You've yeah, got, you get like a, a briefcase which has uh, spinning latches that you have to open and move just right. So just that, like our microphones. That yeah. way it doesn't trigger a tear gas bottle inside the suitcase to go it's, off. That's disguised as a tin of talcum powder. And so then, brilliant. And then also inside the briefcase, you have a roll of uh, golden sovereigns. There's two. There's two strips of sovereigns. There's also the the throwing knife, the flat throwing yeah, knife. Yeah, flat that's throwing hidden. knife hidden in there. And then and then the studs on the bottom of the briefcase pop out and actually hold ammo in them. Which I don't recall him actually using that. I. I'm really trying to remember if he did. I don't think so. I think it's just extra ammo for the rifle, which is in there. There's a full. There's a break. Uh, yes. up, there's a breakable sniper's rifle. Yeah, because I don't it's, think it carries its own bullets it, very well. Yeah, it's a wooden stock, and then you open it, and inside are all the like the pipings and the trigger mechanisms that you put together yourself. Now, very, very I would cool. never want to kill somebody, but I love having. The idea of having just a cool sniper rifle that you put together, you know, it's mm-hmm. pretty. It's a pretty nice rifle too. Yeah, and it's, it gets the job done quite a bit. I mean, he but there's a jump. Out, uh, there's a jump cut when he's putting it together. So I'm wondering if it actually functions or if they had to hide something. That's a good question. If it's it like probably a doesn't actually problem. fire at all. It probably doesn't fire, but it, it, it. But maybe it doesn't go together as well as it looks. Yeah, that was the that was the case with a lot of Bond gadgets, unfortunately, through that's the years. True. <laughs> But, uh, and, but I mean, uh, that's not. He gets a lot of mileage out of it. He takes out a Bulgarian like assassin. rebel leader. Krilenko. He lets his buddy do uh, it. He lets his yeah, his sexed up a million sons buddy. <laughs> so like, you uh, know yes, what? uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, fuck, I have it. Uh, I have it written down here. It's uh, p- played by Pedro Amandares. It's Karim Bay. Yeah, Karim Bay. He's a great. For Bond, he needs somebody to like show him around Istanbul, and uh, what well, better guy than this guy? He so Karim Bey is the head of MI6's Istanbul division, made up entirely of his sons. Yes, well, because he talks about how the blood is the best security. Exactly. Which, yeah, I guess that worked. None of his sons betrayed wouldn't him. It, yeah, it would have been cool if we had like one son who was like not, you know, the, he was like, oh, traitor. you're the stupid one. Oh, he's my stupidest son, and then that's the one who betrays him or something. Yeah, that would have made sense. That would have been cool. His sons are like 100% loyal. And, you know, it's funny we bring up how family-oriented this character is because that's exactly what Pedro Amandares was like in person as well because, so he he was a longtime character actor, mostly acting in Western, stuff like that. Like, he was in... This is a very Western-feeling... He was set, in... You know? He, he acted alongside John Wayne in movies like Three Godfathers nice. and... Uh, uh, I think the Searchers. He may have been in the Searchers also. I think hmm. as like a bit part. Yeah, I don't recall. I don't know, but uh, he he did a lot of western stuff. He acted alongside John Wayne. One movie though that he was in, uh, I forget. Fuck, I forget what movie it was. It may have actually been The Conquerors. <laughs> um, they shot in an area where the U.S. government was doing yeah, it's bomb testing. <laughs> yeah, that's why that's why John Wayne got cancer from that. Did he get cancer as well? He got cancer ah, as well, and oh. this is right at the end of his life. He was very, very sick by this time. Oh, and so it's, no. It's, it's Raul Julian Street Fighter? <laughs> pretty much, and oh. he, he pretty much completed this film, suffered through completing this film to be able to leave money for his family after. 
after he died, which he, Jesus. he this was his final film. He completed the shooting, went to London, completed any ADR work they needed, and then left back to the U.S. where he eventually was checked into a UCLA hospital where he eventually killed himself. Damn. I, am, I have come here to die. Yeah, pretty much. Damn, much that's re- pretty badass. Much respect for him now. For and his yeah. fun fact, his son would later on, decades later, go on to portray the Mexican president character in License to Kill. Uh, no, I thought no you were going to say Once Upon a Time in Mexico. <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh, that would be a fun tie-in. <laughs> I just kept thinking it's like Once Upon a Time in Mexico is really trying to do this complicated James Bond shit. Yeah, well, I don't know. A lot but of with, a, with a writer who doesn't understand geopolitical conflict. Well, not just a geopolitical comp- conflict, but not very good at like weaving a really crazy like uh, like spy plot. But yeah, it definitely felt like a James Bond with El Mariachi. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it's the, odd. I really love how they do Istanbul, though. Like Istanbul looks really nice. It's very crowded, and then you have the underground, the grotto that takes him all the way under Russia. Oh, which yeah. I'm like, and they have you a mean, periscope. You mean Istanbul? Oh, yeah. Well, it's <laughs> it's 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 under the Russian uh, the Russian consulate. In, okay, consulate in Istanbul. But it's like they have a periscope. Yeah. How do you not notice a periscope coming up in your war room? No, and also it's <laughs> like they, we have we have visual but no sound. It's like what the fuck's the point of just seeing a meeting? Well, you know who's there, so maybe you can be like, "Oh, you can get so and so is there." You can get a periscope in there. You can't put a little microphone. Like you You guys were so extension cord. You guys were so good at planting hidden microphones, bugging up people all through the fucking fifties and sixties. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) Istanbul has a more of a budget over there. They and they blew it on the periscope. (laughs) And even then, they had to rent it. Yeah, and he sees the Bulgarian guy who's like, watch out, that man kills for pleasure. <laughs> yeah, that that character is Krilenku. He's a uh he's a Bulgarian assassin and he, Yeah, he, goes into just, battle wearing a blazer and a fucking and a tur- he's just a turtleneck guy. The tactile neck. Yeah, it's back. Yeah. Well it's there, I mean. Yeah, it's there. It's shown. It's introduced. Hey, guess what? What? This guy did play the president in Once Upon a Time in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yes, looking at yay. it right now. <laughs> oh, Presidente! I'm, no, I'm I'm looking at his I'm looking at his filmography now, and he's just got so many president and governor and, and pre- politician roles. Yeah. He's, a, he's a, he plays a he's a politician character actor. Yeah. Hey, man, you know you find a niche, you go with it. I mean, yeah. that was Martin Sheen for a while. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> But uh, yeah, like in uh, in the Dead Zone, he's the president. He's the presidential candidate who wants to wipe was, out the world. He played the president uh-huh. in uh, the West Wing. Oh shit! Interesting. And he was the vice president in American President. Oh wait, you're talking about Martin Sheen now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But uh, I thought yeah. you were talking about the pre- El Presidente. No, no, no. But yeah, so there's <laughs> so there's a, funny. There's a lot of fun. So his casting. So that's definitely an homage to James Bond. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be. So yeah. now, now now it's got to be at this point. There's there's a lot of fun '60s Cold War spy shit going on in this though, like front to back. And no, and like so yeah, we got a really sexy Russian lady who's oh my god yeah yes um, Tanya yeah she's got so she's gonna seduce Sean Connery and like. They don't quite make it clear that like she's falling in love with him for real. Yeah. But it's, it's like his cock know, is so good and he's basically like, We don't have to worry about her now. 
Daniela... craving will set in if she tries to escape. It's kind of odd, like, because, because, like, she's sort of in on this whole thing. Is it being but a she fake defector? Thing? But she doesn't really. Yeah. She doesn't know. know the specter side of it. She thinks that, but, but she's she supposed to be. This is a Soviet Russia, like you know, like fake out. She, we'll yeah, but thing. she's she's so religiously devout to Mother Russia, and she... yet one taste of fucking British cock, Scottish <laughs> cock. Scottish cock. Allied. <laughs> one taste of allied cock. <laughs> no, yeah, Daniela Bianchi as Tatiana is definitely one of the most beautiful Bond girls in the series. Definitely for the Connery era, for sure. Mm-hmm. I actually really like her character. She's pretty much just a pawn in this fucking game. Like, she, she's the most devout communist in Russia. And yep. <laughs> she, and so the whole thing with this is that uh, Colonel yes. Kleb is... Kleb. Uh, she thinks that she's still working for Smirsh when, in fact, she's working for Spectre. And, yeah. <laughs> so she is in Smirsh. Yeah, Smirsh. she was. So is the Smirsh thing also so that they're not technically robbing a Russian consulate, they're rob- robbing a Smirsh consulate? No, it's a Russian consulate. And what Smirsh. is Smirsh exactly again? It was oh. a really shitty YouTube sketch comedy group. <laughs> oh, okay. Didn't they make that movie? Yeah. And that other movie? Yeah. No, it's look. it's a it's a counterintelligence organization that was uh, Yeah, Smosh, they're counterintelligence. <laughs> they're against intelligence. The, the, na- the name was coined by Stalin in the forties and it was kind of an umbrella organization that kinda it says here Wait, so Smirsh was real? Smirsh was real. Guys, we should start a band called Smirsh Mouth. Smirsh Mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody once told me. Oh no, stop. <laughs> but uh it was to subvert the attempts by Nazi German forces to infiltrate the Red Army on the Eastern Front. That was their primary okay. like, action. So, so it's kind of a response to the OSS? Pretty much. It was, it was I, I guess, also a precursor to the KGB in a way. Yeah, yeah. probably. So, uh, no, totally, yeah. Probably a combo KGB Spetsnaz sort of situation. Uh, yeah. The Spetsnaz. Ah, uh, <laughs> fun. But, uh, oh, man. You guys ever seen Red Dawn? Yeah, it's no. a cool ass movie. Man. Red Dawn is awesome. I love Red Dawn. John Milius is just one of the most like fucking crazy. Yeah, he's just a bro director. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so uh, another thing about uh, Colonel Kleb that I kind of noticed uh, with her scene, with her scene uh, with Tanya, is that uh, you know there's there's an element when it comes to early Hollywood stuff is that you make the villains like kind of coded gay characters. Yeah, she's yeah. almost she's almost like one of those like um you've seen enough women in prison movies. Like yeah. she's very much like the um like brutal lesbian warden that they used to have in yeah. like old female prison movies. Yeah. She does like the whole inspection to make sure that Tanya's hot enough. Yeah. Latte Lenya really knocks this one out of the park. So it is and just, that's who the character is a parody of in Austin Powers, right? His like Russian yes. girl. Yes, it is. Well, that and also, uh, there's a, I, I thought it was the same character, but there's a similar character in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Yes, Irma Boont. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, but yeah, but Cleb dies in this one. Yeah, Cleb yeah. dies in this one, but I thought that was uh, Irma Boont. We can just Honor come Majesty. back, yeah, right? Yeah, why not? There's, 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 there's so many villains that she's, they just repeat later she's on. Got, she's got the great villain gadget of the fucking shoe with the poison knife blade in it towards the end, which they use, uh, Spectre Agent uses early on, on uh, uh, Kronstein after his plan the chess guy and they establish this thing where it's like Dr. No is going to make you think that you're going to die and then kill the guy next to you yeah (laughs) but um, 
you know, I, I got to, we got to talk about it though. I think my, f- no, I don't think I know my favorite sequence in this whole thing is one of the most brutal sequences in the movie. And that's the train fight. On no, the and this is Express. like, this, this feels, it's a little, it's a little shaggy, but overall it feels like a modern fight scene. Yeah. Where, where they're just like, yeah, so, uh, so like l- first, yeah, it's, it's very, setup. yeah, it's wonderful. It's it's such a perfect like this short is, film almost. Like, this is just, a like very, everything that happens in the train car. This is a very Hitchcock moment too, like because you know it's about to explode. No, you well, just don't know when. And that's exactly yeah. That's what Hitchcock talks about with the suspense. Is like it's not suspense if there's a bomb that's about to go up. It's suspense if the audience knows and the characters don't. Especially yeah. when so he we starts know, going for the briefcase. Yeah. And so, but we know that we know that Robert Shaw is the bad guy, but he's disguised himself as an MI6 agent. And he's fully committed to it. He's got he's and we haven't heard him talk. And he's doing the whole like, well, old old man, you know, uh, I have had a, quite a few scuffles myself. Mm-hmm. And then, but yeah, he finally. So he drugs Tanya. They go back to the train car. He's like, oh, what did you give her? And it's like, so he's kind of starting to figure it out. But what does he say to like get Bond to look at the map? He he says that his escape route is only for one. Are you interested in the girl or the lector? Oh, so, so it's more a matter. So he's still pretending to be MI6. Though. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, okay, I can get off at the next stop. No problem. You cannot because you have this hot piece of equipment with you. So, <laughs> so he starts showing him the, like the whole, the whole ruse is that I drugged her. She's going to be passed out. You're going to be long gone with this device after she wakes up. It's going to be all good. So he starts showing him this escape route and once he's kind of like really paying attention to that is when he hits him from behind and that's when he officially switches gears into murderer specter mode and then and and, and then he also spills everything he tells bond everything yeah, no, he, about he makes bond plot. get on his knees in front of the window and he's like i'm gonna kill you now so what do you want to know <laughs> so uh, I work for Spectre. Uh, Spectre is behind the whole thing, and uh, the, our know. main go-to is uh, Janet. That's J A N I S E Clem Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> no, so one thing we glossed over is we got the first meeting between Tanya and Bond is this bedroom scene, which is now iconic in the franchise. So yeah, much. I didn't so. know that this was the audition scene. I guess that that's well, fun. apparently I, I didn't, I forgot about this until I watched the making of last night. Apparently they screen tested Daniela Bianchi with that scene. And apparently they had Anthony Dawson who played, the uh, geology professor that Bond kills in cold blood from the guy from uh, Dial in for Murder. He stood in for Bond in that screen test and Gross. they used that. So, yeah, I know, right? That's awful. That's the, so she, so that's like, if you can act through this, <laughs> if you can we'll get, get through this weird old man, <laughs> we'll give that's you. Like, that's like, that's like 90s Sean Connery, you know, yeah. when he's making out with like <laughs> Catherine Zeta Jones and shit. Yeah. But yeah, so they, um, they use this scene as screen. There's actually well, like, footage. What's the, can- what's the iconic line where she's like, "Oh, I worry that my mouth is too big," and he's like, "Ah, oh, it's just the right size." For yeah, well, me, that yeah, because <laughs> he's like, "Oh, you're one of the most beautiful girls I've ever seen." Oh, I think my mouth's too big. Yeah, it's the right size for me. There's actually footage from the '80s of Sam Neill screen testing for this role with an, that scene. What an alternate reality! Yeah, yeah. no kidding. Sam, Sam Neill could have been like a real star instead of just like a beloved. Instead of just Jurassic the guy from Jurassic Park. Park. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean he's he he does some great shit in the horror you know world. Yeah, yeah Possession, no. Omen Three, Mountains of Mad, uh, Mouth of Madness. 
more on that in the later Daybra- on this year. Daybreakers. <laughs> but uh but yeah, so it's a it's a very seductive scene, very sensual scene. You know, it's one of the iconic seduction scenes in the whole franchise. What they don't know is that the mirror behind the bed is a one-way window and they're filming them from the other side. And so that comes back up in Grant spilling everything to Bond. He's like, yeah, we got this footage of you and this girl banging, and we're going to release it to the press or something. Yeah, so, the, so it'll make it look like the British and the Russian were Russians. like. So the, the whole idea is that she's... Like each other. So the whole, the whole idea behind this assassination attempt is that they're going to make it look like she, Tanya, was blackmailing Bond with this sex tape footage to, like, it's like, okay, I'll help you get the lector across, but you have to marry me or I'm going to release this footage to the press. So, and, and then so make it look he, like you murdered her and then you killed yourself. Exactly. By getting on your knees and getting shot in the face. Exactly. <laughs> But uh, it's 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 very convoluted, of course. But you know what? I don't think it's convoluted at all. What's there not to understand? <laughs> I mean, in, in in the moment, I guess it's a lot of information. No, to I take know in. it's very. <laughs> but, these uh, are needlessly complicated. But yeah. I kind of, I kind of like it because it's still whatever feel- is going on. James Bond is going to fucking fight his way through. You it's know what? No, it's it still feels like a very grounded espionage plot. Like I wouldn't be surprised if something like this did happen back in the fifties or early sixties. No, and what's interesting is like in none of these, like there's an implied ticking clock, but there's never literally a ticking time, a ticking bomb. clock where it's like, <laughs> we got to do it before this missile goes off. Like a, that feels more of the Pierce Brosnan era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you're literally well, no, stopping the doomsday the device go is going to go well, it's, off. It's funny you mention that because they bring up ticking clock finally in Goldfinger, the very next one. He's oh. fucking handcuffed to a nuclear bomb, and it's ticking down. They've got to defuse it. Oh, yeah, I'm, that's true. I'm glad we skipped it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, so the fight scene breaks out, and it's fucking brutal. Like, they're, well, so they're not throwing their... They're, they're finally not pulling get, punches. It's very clever because... He sees that the guy has a brief, he stole the briefcase from the MI6 agent. Mm-hmm. So he so he kind of knows that his that the other guy's briefcase has the tear gas. Yeah. So he's like, I'll give you 50 gold, you know, coins if you give me one cigarette. And then so he gives him the gold coins out of the suitcase and then he's like, "Oh, is there gold coins in the other case as well?" He's like, "Probably. Here, let me get them for you." And the guy's like, like "No, you- let me do it." And so when he pops open, we finally get tear gas explosion in Robert Ryan's face. Yeah. But then Robert Ryan shoots out one of the bulbs. Hey. Robert Shaw. <laughs> his, his, his name's Red. Red Red shoots out one of the bulbs, and then it casts the room into that cool blue light. Yeah. Which and is like, like, this almost felt like a Nicholas Winding Refn lighting. And then, and then, in the struggle, he ends up shooting out the window, too. So you got the noise of the train gears and the wheels outside and as then, well. Yeah, like a really just brutal three or four minute fight scene. There's no music at all. It's oh, just man. sound yeah, design. They're just tumbling around in the close quarters just punching. I like at one point they like almost fall on top of the unconscious chick. <laughs> no, they do. They do. They fa- do. They, they do. fall on her. And uh, eventually we get uh, Chekhov's watch strangulation uh, start to happen. He starts trying to kill Bond with the piano wire and the watch. I've been training my whole life for this. But then but Bond then, pulls out Chekhov's knife. And stabs Grant and turns the watch on him and kills him immediately. No, but... And it's... Uh, it's what a great villain Grant was, though. They like set him up as like the perfect foil for Bond. He's mm-hmm. one of the best heavies in the franchise. Most and definitely. It's, and it's interesting because like the most... 
I, the most like I see way more Daniel Craig in him than I do in Sean Connery. You know, it's like we, feels like yeah, like every time we saw like a wide shot with Grant in the background, we were, we were like, oh my god, it looks like uh, Daniel really, Craig Bond. And the way he plays Daniel, the way he plays Bond is much closer to Red to Red. You know, like he's kind of marked quite. You know, I feel like I feel like this character also, at least the way it's interpreted on film, without the without Robert Shaw as Grant. I feel like we don't necessarily get Richard Keel as Jaws or Dave Bautista as Hanks Inspector. Like, no, it's yeah, because we have template. a lot of generic henchmen. Well, like, I mean, float, thrown around, but I feel like Odd Job is more like that. Uh, more, odd, maybe odd Job like, is maybe more like the, uh, in, in visual, at least. Cause... Odd, odd Job is more the cartoon stereotype, though. Like, well, that was... Odd Job is like he's like a chauffeur, right? Yeah, is he like the classic, like almost? He's like a Kato almost. Yeah, yeah but he, yeah, that's exactly what he is. He does fight is. Bond, though. No, he yeah, does. I'm just he saying. He does, but, so but does it's... Kato does all the fighting as well. Yeah, but you know, they they have they even have they fight, but they even have a way bigger arena to fight. They're fighting in the Gold Vault at Fort Knox. That's true. And it's still a very underwhelming fight compared to this very small, tight quarters between Grant and Bond, which is just brutal. No, and like this is like a fight where like. You could really see this happening in a modern, you know, spy movie. I mean, they 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 did redo it though to an extent in Spectre. The right. the fight Spectre, against Dave Spectre Batista. has the yeah. We I think we can agree that Spectre has a lot of from Russia with love in it. Mm-hmm. Although I would uh, say that the fight scene between Bond and the assassin in Skyfall is Spe- closer. No, no, Skyfall. Oh yeah, uh, in Hong Kong or Shanghai, right? Yeah, in Shanghai when he's fighting that one guy, and it's just that. Amazing, we're just zooming one in, shot zoom in of Bond versus the the and it's the silhouettes. Yeah. Oh man, I can't believe we, oh, I can't Deacons. believe we got Roger Deakins doing a James Bond. So good. That's more. That's closer to the train car fight with Bond and Grant than I'd say uh, with uh, Bond and Thumb Job. Yes. <laughs> now, yeah. uh, question: In Goldfinger, does he order the martini? Yes, he does. Okay, so like we glossed over it in Doctor No. Dr. No presents James Bond with a martini shaken, not stirred. <laughs> and he gives a little expression like, hmm, and I'm going to order it like that for the rest of my life. <laughs> I know, he, this, ne- he never orders it by himself like at the beginning or anything. This drink, murdering people, and sex. That's all my personality is going to be for the next 60 years. <laughs> it wasn't until... 25 movies. It wasn't until Daniel Craig where they're like, How, do you want it shaken or stirred? He's like, well, does it make a bloody difference? Do I look like I give a damn? Do I look like I <laughs> But no, it, From Russia with Love, it's a fun piece of Cold War spy fiction. And you, fun fact, the book actually ended up in President Kennedy's list of top 10 favorite books upon his uh, uh, win of the presidency. You know, I really like that part of the guy with the sniper rifle. It's so cool. Well, no, <laughs> he, was, he was interviewed by Life magazine shortly after his presidential win, and he listed his top 10 favorite books, and From Russia with Love was in the top 10. And nice. that... That also helped really push the book sales over the top. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah, indeed. It's pretty, but uh, it's... Kennedy was like the sexy president, man. Yep. Yeah. And the most murdered man in history. <laughs> yeah. Everybody wanted him dead. Yep. It's, it's imagine, amazing that he stepped outside of the house at all. Imagine, uh, an, imagine an awful, poor-taste edit where you have the Kennedy assassination footage cut together. With, with a shot of him putting the rifle over. Careful, you've only got one shot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. <laughs> uh, That's a, n- a new one for your dad. <laughs> I would totally cut that together. 
Uh, There's got to be a bunch of like just YouTube clips where they have like someone shooting and then just cuts <laughs> to the Kennedy assassination. Oh, uh, Jesus Christ. Do we want to go ahead and rape from Russia with love? Yes. I'm, uh, I, I mean, y'all should have seen this coming. I give this a 10 10. Like, it is my, it, it became my favorite Bond film when I was in high school. All these years later, it is still my favorite Bond film. And I don't foresee that changing anytime soon. It is, in my opinion, the perfect Cold War spy story. I rank it alongside media such as like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy as like a way more accurate depiction of spy shit from that era, obviously with a James Bond twist. And it's it's just perfect in my eyes. Nice. I would definitely agree with uh, your summation, this being the most grounded James Bond and like the closest we get to like really good Cold War spy stuff. I would give this a 9 out of 10 for sure. It's uh, still one of my favorite Bonds, if not the best Bond that's been made uh, and, you know, after watching almost all the Bonds uh, from that time. I would give this a 10 out of 10 if it wasn't for the foxy boxing scene. Yeah, we didn't really talk about the gypsies, did yeah, we? Yeah, and the gypsies. <laughs> the gypsy oh, camp. Yeah. There's a bonkers offensive part where, like, these two women <laughs> are fighting because they both want to marry the chief's son. Uh, and, and so they, like, tie their skirts around their waist and it's a very sexual cat fight it's yeah which gets broken up by the bulgarians coming in and then james bond saves the chief so it's like you get to marry both of them and it's implied that he fucks them both into being happy and it's, yeah. it's not very uh like culturally accurate these gypsies which you know very offensive words. i feel like gypsies are whatever romanian they, yeah gypsies are whatever they need to be for the story yeah like nanobots <laughs> for, for a lot of movies they're almost just mythical people so yeah so so what does that n- mean nine out of ten nine out of ten yeah it's fun but uh i'm very excited to get into thunderball because arguably thunderball is really when this series hit its stride and was like okay this is what this series is so i'm very excited to hear sam's summation of it at the beginning let's like just totally fucking get let's into jump it in. thunderball Emilio Largo has an actually simple plan. Train a body double for years to steal nukes and ransom them for millions of diamonds. See? Actually very simple. He even got to save the money by killing the body double. But things get confusing when double O for obvious Agent James Bond was accidentally at the clinic where the body double and original body were staying. This stumbles Bond onto his tracks, taking out trained assassins untrained goons, and pet sharks along the way. And after the epic underwater battle for Thunderball, Largo dies at the hands of his lover, foiling his plan and breaking his heart with a spear. (laughs) So why was the guy the brother of his mistress? Uh, you know, uh, you know how, you know how it can work with nepotism sometimes. Uh, you know, maybe you get this Guy who's like, um, wait, you're talking about who again? Why did all the men have Rory Kinnear's face? <laughs> we took... <laughs> we, okay, we took, so guys, I guess we should say it we took, a, we took a slight break after From Brush With Love, and we went and saw Men. Directed and, by Alex Garland. And that shit was fucking hilarious. Available on VOD, probably. Yeah, I'm sure. If you, if you look hard enough, uh, you can probably find it on a shady link. Very much like Mother in the sense that, holy shit, this movie is so unintentionally up its own ass hilarious. It is amazing. But it did make some very cogent Sean Connery points, points which is that sometimes, you know, you, men will hit women. <laughs> oh, no. 
Uh, we're not here to talk about men. We're not here to talk about we're men. We're not here to talk about men. Although we're here we to might, t- you know, pop in sometimes. But we're here to talk about Thunderball. We're here to talk about balls of thunder. I mean, as I've said before, it's hard for me not to think about men. <laughs> so Thunderball. So uh, Thunderball. So, okay, so why is it his mistress's brother that's the body double that he needs to... Was that part of his plan originally? I maybe think... Maybe he just like you know knew a guy. Maybe he just knew the guy. I mean, you know, like maybe her, maybe his mistress was like, "Oh, my brother could use some work. Uh, you got any jobs for him?" And he's like, "Oh, I got this one open assignment." And no, but her brother was part of the military. Wait, which, the Air Force. Wait, okay, so you're talking about du- Duver? Duval. 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 Oh, her brother was Duval. I thought her brother was the body double. No, her brother was the guy that died, and then. Died well, again. I mean, technically, they both died. Yeah, yeah they both. They, he died twice. They were both murdered. <laughs> maybe he got to know Duval because of his mistress. You know, like maybe it's like, oh, got, he got close to this girl so that he could find out everything he could about Duval so that he could make his plan work better. Makes sense. Yeah, but okay. anyways, this you know, so we skipped over Goldfinger. You know, Goldfinger, as great as Goldfinger is, definitely has mm-hmm. a bit of a stylistic. Uh, shift from Dr. No and Thunderball. Like, you know, it's a little more over the top. This is where we, Goldfingers, where the Aston Martin DB5 is introduced, filled with gadgets. It's got machine guns. It's got the oil slick. It's got... And it's also the only time in these first four movies that he actually orders a martini shaken, not stirred. Exactly. Yeah, so we, well, we kind of miss that, you know. we That's uh, a disappointing but then, outcome. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's also got the iconic scene of him tied to a fucking slab of gold and Goldfinger's like, you know, I'm gonna, I could stand here and talk to you, but instead I'm just going to kill you, but then just stupidly sicks a, slow, a slow-moving laser beam on him. And the laser beam is going to burn his dick first. Yeah. yeah he's going to die a very painful death. Yeah, yeah starting it, with his dick and then going up. It probably won't kill him until it gets to like his chest area when it starts to lacerate his lungs. I don't exactly, know. Exactly, and his heart. If it got to his stomach, I feel like that would... Like, stomach pain is like... One of the most painful things. Uh, It'll be painful, but feels. it wouldn't kill him right away. Well, I, mean, I don't know. The shock might kill him. Yeah, the shock might. But... Well, keep in mind, it's a laser. It's cauterizing everything on its way up. So. He's probably got a poison tooth, though. So before his dick got burned, he would probably take the poison tooth. But he doesn't. Mm. You know why? Because <clears throat> he's a G. He's a man. That's why. <laughs> But uh, what we do get, well, I'm we a don't. Men and men don't. Commit but no, so, so so Ter- Terrence Young returns for Thunderball. Guy Hamilton opted out of following up Goldfinger with Thunderball, and uh, so it's important to note. So now is when we're going to get into the drama around some of the rights issues. So with- this was yeah, this was very interesting to learn about. Ian Fleming does seem to be a bit of a fame whore. So okay, so. He creates 007 in 1953. The books by the end of the 50s are really starting to gain some traction. He recognizes, you know, this would be good for Hollywood, you know, and so he teams up with. I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna jump around a little uh, a little bit here, but the general gist of it is that he teams up with a young filmmaker named Kevin McClory to come up with an original screenplay to bring James Bond to the big screen. Uh, This process was a pain in the dick. (laughs) Like, they went through so many different drafts and rewrites of this script. Ian Fleming, from what I understand, got bored of this shit. (laughs) And he just kind of bowed out after about a year or so. 
and left the project, retreated back to Goldeneye, his Jamaican estate, and uh, proceeded to write the next James Bond novel, which would go on to become Thunderball. The problem is, though, is that Ian Fleming ended up using elements from the script that he had been working on with Kevin McClory and another screenwriter, I think his name's Jack Whittingham, I think. And when McClory saw an advanced copy of Thunderball eventually, (laughs) he promptly flipped his shit when he saw elements of their story in Fleming's book. Including Spectre. Including Spectre, yeah. Antagonistic force. Spectre's debuted in the in the book series, at least, in Thunderball. And that's pretty much Spectre and Blofeld is an element that McClory helped create in this screenplay. So uh, McClory filed suit. He, he took Fleming to court. And it turned into a whole big legal battle. Obviously, oh, yeah, and you fucked me over, you did. <laughs> I wrote that screenplay with you. You owe me at least £400. Oh, I ain't giving you shit, you lousy cunt. I'm you give this. it to me right now. Order, order, I'll have fucking order in my court, you pair of cunts. I'll fucking kill you. Oh, you can't fucking kill me. I've got a knife in me boot. Oh, I've got a knife on me everywhere. <laughs> so but that's it, probably what court is like in Britain, except that the judge is wearing a wig. It's spy court, a big, actually. A big poofy wig. Yes, we'll settle this in spy court. <laughs> but anyway, so they uh, they ended up eventually settling out of court before Fleming's death in 1964. And um, but so did Ian Fleming live to see any of these? Yes, he did. He saw at least. Doctor known from Russia with love. He died of a heart attack in 1964. I'm un- I'm unsure if he died before or after Goldfinger came hmm. out, though. Did he watch Goldfinger? It's like, oh fuck, it's awful. <laughs> it's, no, on, oh. on the contrary, it's amazing. <laughs> no, but so so, but they settled out of court. So. Dr. No was not the original planned James Bond debut on the big screen. They initially wanted to adapt Thunderball first, but because of the then ongoing legal battles, their lawyers rightfully were like, you know what, just steer clear of that one for now. Maybe later we'll do that. And so that's what, of course, led to them picking Dr. No, similarly set in the Caribbean, and you know, history was made. You know, James Mm -hmm. Bond debuted, became a hit. So then they settled the legal legal troubles with Thunderball, stating that... Or no, so they made a deal with Kevin McClory after Goldfinger because they knew Thunderball's going to be the next one. That's going to be the big one after Goldfinger. So they made a deal with McClory, from what I understand, where they would use his elements... They would use Spectre still. They would have Blofeld and uh, a lot of all the underwater stuff. That was McClory as well. Nice. And uh, the stipulation was that McClory still held the rights to those elements, most of the story elements in Thunderball. And could he? He was credited uh, in the film as based on characters created by Kevin McClory. Uh, based on a story by yeah, or so something a story like by that. credit. Yeah. Um, he was a producer on the film, but another stipulation was that he couldn't make his own film with those elements for the next 10 years after Thunderball's initial release. Hmm. Which, of course, you know, 10 years later is 1975, 
we're already way deep into the series at this point with Roger Moore. And of course, eight years later, we have uh, Never Say Never Again comes out, which is pretty much a remake of Thunderball headed up by McClory. Man, can we just get beyond Thunderball? (laughs) Apparently, uh, he even tried to make another movie uh, along the lines of Never Say Never Again, I think in the 2000s that got blocked or something like that. I I would need to go do more research on that. Eventually, though, the producers tied things up with him, settled everything, and regained the rights to all of this shit right in time to for Spectre. For Spectre. So that so all this legal trouble is why you never see Spectre past Diamonds Are Forever. I mean they they wanted to use Spectre in Spy Who Loved Me, but couldn't. And uh so that's where Stromberg comes in. And then um they hinted at Blofeld in For Your Eyes Only with the bald guy that's trying to kill James Bond in the open, cold open of that movie. It's a blatant bald dude with a white cat. In a wheelchair. In a wheelchair. Dropped down a chimney. Yeah, he's remote piloting a helicopter that Bond is in, trying to kill him, and Bond regains control. And great opening scene. But uh, yeah, so there's a lot of legal trouble surrounding Thunderball and its story and kind of was a, a stain on the franchise for a little while and uh, thankfully has been cleared up. All parties are now deceased. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but Thunderball, though, they, they managed to pull through and they, this, this really is the start of the true James Bond phenomena. Like, th- like the three films that preceded it were incredible. They did amazing. They were huge successes with audiences. But Thunderball is the one where it really shot into the stratosphere. So, no, no, this is a great one. I I love Spectre. Yes, it's very you know it's Illuminati esque. I love I, secret societies. Yeah, just a super villain league of doom. Yeah, you know it's it's a lot like Hydra. The logo is very similar to Hydra. It's very similar to I I, I mean Hydra and Captain America have been around since you know World War Two comics essentially so but i wonder if the new look was maybe inspired by the because they do the minimalist hydra logo you know i wonder if that was inspired by the um the, specter the, logo the octopus on the ring no the octopus has always been around when it came to hydra yeah that's been a long time thing for yeah. hydra or specter for hydra, hydra. okay well, yeah they the, don't have a but it's not an octopus yes it is well it's a skull with tentacles coming out of it yeah okay but it's supposed to be a hydra well i mean Shut up. You cut, a, you cut off one head, another head. Comes. What's a hydra but a skull with tentacles? It's several heads. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe it is. <laughs> but no, yeah, this is this is the the true explosion of the series. There so the DVD that I have has two documentaries on it. It has the making of of the movie as well as a documentary about the Thunderball phenomenon. I gotta borrow a few of these. Oh yeah, totally. But, Anytime. Um, yeah, no, this was dope. Um, the underwater battle sequence where it's the Navy going up against the Spectre guys. What that a great is scene! Have fantastic. We, can you think of another underwater fight scene like that? No, no, it's no, like no, just no. a bunch of guys going at it underwater. Like that's dope as shit. It's very epic. It's very, very like 
uh, it's very ambitious for the time, for and sure. It's bloody. This is the bloodiest James Bond we've had so far. Like, oh yeah, there's, pe- there's people, people are getting bleeding, hit. getting shot with harpoons everywhere. Oh yeah, and yeah. the blood is in the water. Sharks are coming. I in know the blood. People. Yeah, it's like they kill a lot of sharks in this for Rizzle. Yeah, it was the sixties. Sorry, uh, I just showed uh, Kreider actual early nineteen forties Hydra symbol. So did okay, but so that doesn't make sense for a Hydra. No. But, <laughs> But so does that mean Spectre stole the logo from Hydra? Maybe. Probably. I mean, okay, cool. It uh, it Cobra be, is inspired by Hydra. It wouldn't be yeah. the first it wouldn't be the first Spectre idea stolen. <laughs> <laughs> I like when they were called Quantum. <laughs> but He's um, a member of a highly secretive organization called Quantum. Okay, What's Sam. a Quantum? It's a small thing. Okay, Sam, we need to murder Kreider now. Oh well. Okay. It was fun. Oh, we you. are men after yeah. all. Yes, we are men after all. <laughs> we are men. Man, men. Man, <laughs> man, man, what the fuck? Man, man, what the fuck, man? But uh, I can't wait for our new podcast called Men'splaining, <laughs> <laughs> where we explain the movie Men for 30 minutes every week. Um, <laughs> Until you get it. Until it, you women understand. <laughs> interesting note about the underwater fights. So the, all the underwater sequences were directed because so they shot everything here in the Bahamas. Because right here in the Bahamas, where we're recording right now, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Very nice. We they, went and saw men here in the Bahamas, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> not doing so well. It's yeah, really not doing well out here. <laughs> Anyways, the production was split between Bahamas and Miami, and with it being in Florida. They contacted Riku Browning, whose main claim to fame claims to fame at that point was at the time he was working on the Flipper TV series. But prior to that, in the fifties, he was the underwater actor for the creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, he played the creature. He played the creature. Wow. Oh, I thought okay. I thought you said the I thought you were you meant the director. That's so cool. No, no, yeah, he played the creature for all the underwater stuff, and he is currently the sole surviving member uh, cast member of the Universal Monsters. Really? Wow. He's the wow. only one left. Is he still in Florida? Yes, he is. Man. Is he, uh, literally, go, literally go to any spooky empire. He is there. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. He's the original Doug Jones. Yes. Yeah. For real. True. But no, when he I was the fish monster, the women didn't want to have sex with me, but now all the girls want to fuck the fishmen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it was right. But yeah, so he came in, directed all the underwater stuff, and yeah, like... Even today, like by today's no, standards, holds, like it, it holy shit! Oh yeah, like they—it's really incredible that they can get such good dynamic action and like camera work underwater like that. I know, man. I was, and then you think that this I was movie, floored by this. This this movie's from 1965. Like, yeah, Jesus. there are movies nowadays that make this look like shit exactly. for real. As like, and part of that comes from you know, it's like, well, we're not afraid to kill real sharks. Oh, you mean? Uh, wait, did you mean the other way around? That make movies today that make that look like shit? No, no I mean, like, it, movies are made today that look like shit in comparison. In comparison to that. Okay, gotcha. Um, I was like, underwater stuff is tricky. It is very tricky. Like, Just ask James Cameron. He's been trying to do underwater Avatar for years now. I that mean, movie then, will never come out. <laughs> even then, he, he did that with uh, The, the Abyss. Abyss. Yeah, no, The Abyss. I was thinking of The Abyss a lot. It was like... Yeah, underwater stuff. There's like a very creepy. I tell you, they vibe to they underwater. need to. The Disney Fox needs to just give me the Alien franchise so that I can make them a better Aliens sequel, and it's going to be an underwater se- Alien sequel. 
I mean, we already got Noah Hawley doing a crazy TV show. Yeah, I don't care. Um, <laughs> we got a really strong cast this time around. Yes. Like, outside of our core players, obviously the key players, you got Connery back as Bond. You is have... Felix Leiter the same guy from... No, it is not. No, no, no. So They've actually... a different guy completely. Act- actually, yeah, aside, from, aside from Jeffrey Wright... The only other actor to reprise the role of Felix Leiter is, uh, shit, I can't remember his name. I'll, I need to look his name up. And it's but, um, not Joe Don Baker. No. no uh-uh. Joe Don Baker did not play Felix Leiter. Okay. But uh, but yeah, uh, Felix Leiter's actors usually don't stick around very long. Maybe yeah, it's no, like James it's, Bond. He's just a different... Yeah, well, I mean, that would make work. There, it would be it's great like to Johnson do a, and Die Hard. It'd be great to do a spinoff about Felix Leiter, and he just kind of sucks. So... The only other actor aside from Jeffrey Wright in the Craig movies to reprise the role more than once was David Hedison, who played Leiter in Live and Let Die, and then came back and reprised the role in License to Kill. Nice. And he is also, if you don't recognize him from Live and Let Die or License to Kill, you will probably recognize him more as the original Fly. <laughs> Wait, what? He was the fly in the 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 main character from the original Fly. I thought he was the Vincent Price. No, uh, uh-uh, Vincent Price is his brother. David Hedison plays the scientist who so goes into the so telepod. So he's the, help me. Yes. Help mm-hmm. me. Yes. Oh wow. Yeah. That guy's the I've, only. I've Mandela'd other... myself so thoroughly. <laughs> I thought that that was Vincent Price this whole time. I, I mean, mean, Vincent Price has been so many horror icons. It's and it, and maybe it's and maybe it's him in the sequels. I don't know. I haven't Have watched you ever seen those the Fly yet. though. I haven't seen the it. old The Fly is pretty freaky it's great because it opens in media res where he's like why would a man crush his own head hey hey guys there's a fly trilogy from the original 50s movies nice that'd be pretty <laughs> cool but uh but yeah, yeah so it, but you know uh, what you know is really good uh men <laughs> <laughs> so aside from those two guys fucking fucking tight right <laughs> aside from those two guys it's been different men Playing Felix Leiter every yeah, time. Uh, instead of instead of it being like men, where it's one guy playing multiple men, it's multiple men playing <laughs> like, one, guy. <laughs> one guy. Yeah, it's like um, you know when Heath Ledger died partway through Doctor Parnassus, <laughs> and it's like now he's Colin Farrell, now he's Jude Law, now he's Johnny Depp. Oh, <laughs> uh, geez. But yeah, so no, they they never really nailed an actor for Felix Leiter to come back and reprise these roles. This one has a great intro for Felix Leiter because yeah. he obviously doesn't recognize him at first. Hello, but then he opens 007. The like, hey, 007, and 007 just punches him in the stomach because like, why are you calling me my code name out in the fucking hallway? Fucking idiot. It's but like also it... he tells everybody that he meets that his name is Bond, James Bond. It's like in uh, it's like in Jurassic Park when Newman spots Dodson from across. It's like, hey, hey, Dodson. It's like, I told you not to use my name. (laughs) Hey, we got Dodson here. We got Dodson. Hey, (laughs) hey, 007. We got 007 over here. See, see, nobody cares. (laughs) Just bullets. (laughs) Just from all directions. (laughs) Hailstorm of bullets. No, it's just, it's like in, uh, it's like in Predators when Adrian Brody gets the laser sights all over him. Just, just all over him at once. Oh, yeah, that was a trailer moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, Predators is great. Predators yeah. is great. Predator trilogy, we got to get to that. Men but- versus Predators. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Rory Kinnear versus Predators. <laughs> just, just Rory Kinnear freaking the Predator out one and the night next thing, time. And next thing you know, the Predator takes its mask off. It's Rory Kinnear! Uh, <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> no, Keep but- the mandibles. <laughs> But I'm not sorry. Hello. 
<laughs> and we weren't smiling friends in again. <laughs> so uh, going back to uh, Thunderball, uh, something that's something that I really like about Thunderball is the presentation of Spectre. And just how Okay, like, so yeah, we so is what what's his name? The set designer you talked about? Ken Adams. Ken Adams, he's back? He's he came back for Goldfinger and came back again for this. Okay, and we get our we get one of my favorite things in James Bond movies, which is a big evil board boardroom meeting. I know, yes. I love it. And you get the giant like squid. No, They're straight, like, how are drugs doing? No, so like so obviously Ken Adam got his uh, his start with the franchise with Dr. No, created the radio uh, signal room, the the reactor room or whatever, created all the resort area, uh, was absent for from Russia with love and hence we have the more grounded, more on location feeling locations. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the boring title sequence in From Russia with Love, but let's talk about that in relation to this. But yeah, yeah we will. <laughs> but uh he re- Ken Adam returned for Goldfinger, created the Fort Knox vault, created Goldfinger's laser room, created everything. And from Goldfinger on, we start to see this man production design his fucking ass off. Yeah. Like, the sets just get bigger and more lavish with each film. So, yes, he crafted the board meeting room for Spectre. Uh, I believe he designed all of the underwater crafts as well that the Largo's men are using. Those are nice. cool as hell. I they, thought those were like real deal. No, he designed those and oh, they those were are custom made. Dope. Mm-hmm. They must have been semi-functional though. Like obviously they didn't fire rockets. And yes, shit, they, were they were semi-functional. Like, they, yeah, you could move. They move propelled around everything. Yep. Ah, so cool. I believe he designed the Disco Volante as well, the ship that the yacht that jettisons out into a hydroplane or hydrofoil. Yeah, man. They kept it here in Florida. Pretty badass yacht. And of course, you know, later on, you know, he would go on to design the volcano lair from uh, You Only Live Twice. Great set. Great Um, set. Great battle scene. He, uh, some of the other noteworthy sets he did. He did, obviously, everything in The Spy Who Loved Me, all the the ship tank. They built. That definitely shows. The the, the ship tank is very much his style. they, They built. A whole soundstage on Pinewood Studios property for that set and just left the soundstage there. And that is now the 007 stage on on the Pinewood lot. And his final film that he set designed for the franchise was Moonraker. Well, I mean... You know, Which, not, not I mean, a bad way to go out, I guess. Oh, I mean, no, I'm absolutely. sure he did a lot of work at least. Oh no, yeah, oh, this, yeah. This, the every, sets because there's no real places in that. The, the sets yeah. are ridiculous in the, in that movie. But James yeah, Bond so. is always taking you to exotic locales. How would you like to go to space? <laughs> and also, it's not me, Sean Connery. It's Roger Moore. <laughs> but yeah, so he he did Thunderball. He did all the submersibles. He did the Disco Volante. He did the boardroom. Uh, just. Incredible work, dope, dope sets. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, who's the guy in the '90s that did all the really over-the-top sets? Peter Lamont. Peter, Peter Lamont. Peter Lamont took over from Ken Adam on for or yeah on for your eyes. No, only. no, but like, who's the guy in the '90s in general? Oh, you're talking about uh, the Memphis Movement, which was uh, which was used by oh man, it was popularized by uh, Bode Welsh. That was his name, Bode Welsh. So yeah, like. I feel like those are all influenced by like James Bond sets, just these really lavish, 
when you watch something like uh, Hudson Hawk or something, you know? I could, I could see that. The Memphis style, which is kind of, it's that style of like really like crazy, colorful 80s, like 70s sort of kind stuff. Of over the top. Very over the top, very colorful that you would know, associate with the 90s, was started in the late 80s and then just kind of became the thing for films, in my opinion. Because in my mind, that's definitely an element of the Pierce Brosnan ones. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like the big weird ice, ice. Oh, and die another and day. Die another the big ice place. It's it's very obvious sets in the Pierce Brosnan stuff. Like I don't know, there's something about how the sets in these Sean Connery films are able to get away with how ridiculous they are compared to Pierce Brosnan. Well, something about like because when you you have the ridiculous set of like Largo's hideout, mm-hmm. but you do a helicopter shot, you know, so you establish the geography and everything. So yeah. it's like it's clearly a real place on some level. Yeah. And then you go into well, it, and you got and like you know the... the Connery films also, you know, have that air of fantasy to them. You know that '60s spy fantasy. You know you can, uh, like you you can suspend your disbelief to think that a villain hides his lair inside of a volcano or has like hijacked a fucking uh, oil rig in off Baja California or. But why can't you feel that for Pierce Brosnan? I feel like it's because the Brosnan films, while still lavish, still over the top, still very Bond feeling, are it's the '90s. You know, things are starting to get grounded a little more. You know, like uh, like another day, he gets like a completely clean shave from an electric shaver. Tim Burton's Batman is a good example. You know, that's very Bode Welsh, right? Oh, that's uh, that's Bode Welsh, and it gets crazier. But still, it's like, what are we, when it comes to Batman, what are we used to up till the Burton film? We're used to very kind of Adam Westy, cartoonish, kind of lavish looks for Batman. Tim Burton comes in, still has that fantastic edge to it, but there's a lot more grit and grime over it this oh, time yeah. around. It's so dark. I feel like that's kind of where GoldenEye is coming from, where it's still that lavishness of the past, but more anchored in a realer world of the 90s. Well, you know? GoldenEye's the good one, right? GoldenEye is the, the excellent one. one. The, that director came back for Casino Royale. Yeah. Yeah, Martin also Campbell. Also good. So yeah, like I said, there's a great cast in this as well. Like you have probably one of the best uh, Spectre non Blofeld villains. I in agree. This one, Emilio oh, Largo is Emilio just, Largo. Yeah, he's what's the, his uh, what's his henchman though? Um, Vargas. Vargas. I like Vargas as oh, yeah, Vargas. Vargas is badass. But yeah, uh, Largo. He's number two. Spectre number two, and he's just like the template spy bad guy with the eye patch, the white suit, mm-hmm. white hair. Yeah, very, very evil sounding when he just simply <laughs> yeah. talks. He's Italian, but he's just ge- generally foreign. Yeah, like, you know? <laughs> it, is, it doesn't matter. It's not American or Ad- British. Adolfo Celli just owns that role. Chews up scenery left and right. It is just such a fantastic character. Uh, I really like. Uh, uh, I think. Uh, what is she? Number twelve or who? Who was? Uh, oh, the redheaded specter the, chick. The redheaded specter chick. Yeah. Uh, who always wears her fucking specter ring. Yes. Yeah. Or, except for when she's in the bathtub and just places it on the fucking counter. What an idiot! <laughs> hey, what makes a specter more of a squid than a hydra? I don't. I don't know. Well, because it's supposed to be the. So uh, an octopus is associated with the Illuminati. Okay, but it's not a specter. No, I know, I know, but <laughs> it's it's the idea that the you have tentacles that go into everything. Okay, so does Hydra. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it's cool, right? It's uh, I'm it's, just saying it's called Hydra, though. <laughs> it's Luciana Paluzzi. It's like if uh, it's like if I called myself Octopus and had a picture of a dragon, you'd be confused, right? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I'd ask, and if it was a good explanation, sure, I'll buy it. But it's it's Luciana Paluzzi as Fiana Volpe, and she's Volpe, yeah, which means like Volpe. Fox. One of Who's my Vargas. Fa- Vargas is uh, the mute fucking like He's weirdo henchman. He he isn't. No, he talks. It does. He? Oh shit, he does when they when when, when they when they he kill, when Paul is dead. Yes, that's right. Okay, I forgot about that. But uh, there is the great scene though when uh, when Bond is at uh, Largo's estate and he offers Vargas the drink. He's like, oh, that's right. He does not drink. He does not smoke. He does not even make love. What do you do, Vargas? <laughs> it's like... What do you do, Vargas? I we kill. so rarely get the opportunity to speak, you and I. Right, I, I. I kill people. It's my thing. Oh, right. He likes to kill people. I like fishing. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, uh, uh, Fiona Volpe is one of my... Aside from Grant, is one of my favorite Spectre heavies from the Connery era. She's super hot. She's really sinister in her own way. And then fucking has a great death scene. <laughs> no, that is an amazing death scene where they're dancing and the guy's about to cap him. And so he just spins her around really quick. And Catches the, it between his fingers. And covers it all. <laughs> and he puts her down and he's like, oh, watch after my friend, will you? She's dead. <laughs> <laughs> she wants to sit this one out. <laughs> She's just dead. And it's like, man, you're so, you are such a sociopath. Yeah, for real. Jesus. It's like, and those people, like, do you think, how long do you think they're, do you think they're, like, taking pictures with her and stuff? It's like, oh, my God, she's so passed out. Um, <laughs> and then at a certain point, they just push her. It's like, wait a minute, she's dead. No, no. And then they put sunglasses on, and then it's, like, they, weekend at birdie. Yeah. <laughs> you guys ever seen The Man with Two Brains? Uh, no, uh-uh. <laughs> Where <laughs> he's, like, killed this woman, and he's going to put this brain inside of her. And he's like pretending that she's drunk, and this cop's like, "Hey, wait a minute, she's dead." It's like, "Oh my goodness, she's dead." Then I better get her to a cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, of course, we have the complete opposite of Honey Rider with Domino, our bond, our main Bond girl for this one. Yeah, who, I mean, when I, you say opposite, what does that mean? It means that rather than a blatant exposition dump about her backstory were kind of slowly but surely fed the information that, you know, she's related to this uh, NATO commander who was killed and they replaced with a body double. Which and, she doesn't know about Yeah, yet. she doesn't know Not about yet. yet. And the complete opposite of Honey Rider in that she, when she does find out that this man is responsible for the death of her brother, she fucking kills him. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty dope. Yeah, it, that's a that's a great. Sta- it's a, the, no, it's, it's like I'm glad I killed her. It's like you're glad. <laughs> yeah, the, the last the it last was pretty badass how she killed him. Yeah, the last fight scene in Thunderball very similar to From Russia with Love or Bond Key Largo Grant. <laughs> Key Largo. The, yeah. yeah, Humphrey Bogart at the end when he kills all the dudes in the boat. Yeah. Oh yeah, shit! It's I been a, see it. it's been a minute since I've seen that one. <laughs> yeah, kind of diehards. But mm-hmm. uh, pretty good movie. But Key no, Largo. yeah, the, the ending of Thunderball feels very much like the the train fight in From Russia with Love. It's just a brutal, just brawl. Very. And, my favorite space. part is <laughs> like after two people have already been knocked out, there's a guy walking in with a champagne bottle. And <laughs> hey guys, successful separation for the ship. Uh, let's go. Oh god. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Like we, gotta pop, we gotta pop this champagne after we do this prank, bros. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but uh, fun fact: uh, so 
at this point, the Bond series is a fucking super international phenomenon. And, you know, there's a lot of people vying for these roles at this point. You know, uh, you star in a Bond movie at this point. This is what your career is known for from here on. And uh, I was watching the making of the thing earlier this morning for Thunderball. And they just mentioned how they had tons and tons of actresses come through test for the role of Domino apparently one of whom was a young Faye Dunaway. <laughs> and she didn't? She did not get the role, clearly. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Another alternate world yeah. we could have seen. <laughs> Faye Dunaway is a, a Connery-era Bond girl. I know there's like, Uma Thurman was almost a Bond girl. There's a bunch of like, really, what, what ifs. For, for which one? One of the Brosnans. Oh, probably Goldeneye or something. I would yeah. Imagine. yeah. So that's 95. That's right after Pulp Fiction. That's mm-hmm. like, yeah, that, yeah, that would have been the time. But um, she would have been a great Bond girl. She yeah. would have been fun. Yeah, maybe she's, like she's a, almost like a Bond girl type in Pulp Fiction in the shots where you know he's eating breakfast. If if it's we're talking Pulp Fiction, I could imagine her working as like a Bond girl slash possible heavy. Yeah, no. One oh, of the, yeah, totally. Well, that's, yeah, so Volpe is one of my favorite types of Bond girls, which is the one that's also a villain. Like yeah, Frankie oh, yeah. Jensen in Goldeneye. Absolutely. Frankie yeah. Jensen. Yeah. yeah, she was the heavy in Goldeneye. Jean Grey? Jean Grey, yeah. Remember, great, she's right? the chick that crushes dudes with her thighs. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen Goldeneye. Yeah, what? Seen Goldeneye? You I've fucking not... played the this game? This is why but... I don't think that... This is why I didn't think James Bond was good. God damn uh, it, dude. I watched fair. Tomorrow Never Dies and Die Another Day, and I was like, okay, they're stupid. Ooh. Oh, God, okay, dude. Yeah, no okay, okay. Sa- Sam and I gotta sit you down. So it's like yeah. I did give him more than one chance. You did, but you gave him the wrong chance. <laughs> that, that'd be like introducing someone to Friday me like, hey... You should watch Friday Five. <laughs> no, it's like, hey, hey, you should watch this series. This is awesome. So you start with Five. It's like, man, that was terrible. No, no, man, you watch the bad one. Go watch a different one. It's good. So you go to Jason Takes Manhattan. <laughs> no, yeah, go- I still think it's stupid. <laughs> okay, well, how about this? Jason goes to hell. Clearly, you'll like <laughs> with a name like that. It's got to be great. <laughs> or Jason X. Yeah, you know what you need to do if you're into this? You just need to go back and watch the original Friday the 13th, all right? <laughs> so we would be utterly remiss if we don't talk about this cold open, which is probably one of the best cold opens. Absolutely. Yes, it's classic Bond, honestly. Yeah, we open up on a funeral for a guy with the initials JB. It's like, oh my God. It, oh it literally, no. It literally opens on the coffin. <laughs> yeah, like... It's just it's very similar from Russia with Love. I know, it's fake out. Fake out. It's like, he's dead. <laughs> oh, no, oh, he's right there. Oh, there he is. After the cameraman drunkenly pushes the camera up. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they like didn't loosen the tripod all the way, and they only got one take, I guess. I don't know. I can hear the tripod clicks as he's pulling it up. He didn't unlock it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the funeral, turns out, is for Colonel Jacques Bouvert. Which, so, and then they see the widow leave, and he's like, I'm going go to go say hi to that widow. And well, then, no, the, he, he doesn't mention anything about saying hi to the widow. They're just watching from above. They, I love how they even acknowledge, oh, he's got your initials, too. But uh, the, they're watching the, the crowd leave. Widow goes up to the car, goes straight for the car door handle, and just gets in the car. Really which, quick, uh, that's Sylvia Trench watching with Bond, right? No, it is not. No, it's a French ambassador or French consulate or something. Oh, okay. Gotcha. French agent, something. I don't know. She's there to help him kill that widow. <laughs> no, they don't, they don't. See, she's not keen to the widow yet, but you know, Bond sees the the widow just open the car and get in, which is very unladylike in the in the nineteen sixties. Yeah. So, 
goes and finds where. So the why w- did the guy go to his own funeral? I guess to throw off suspicion. Yeah, throw off the scent. What? Because you know he's he's in disguise. <laughs> he's incognito. What? Then why go anywhere? Because. Because um, he had to trick the bond. The, the spies that are watching him. Sir, I'm going to need you to get all the way off my back about this, okay? The guy's wearing a veil, but then when he takes off the wig, he's got a full coat of makeup on. No, yeah, so... Well, you got to go full so, Monty, right? Yeah, so the widow shows up to this little chateau or whatever, and Connery's there, start, gets up to offer condolences, and then just fucking knocks the widow out. And Which... we find out that it's actually a dude. It's the colonel that he's looking for because he he mentions to the girl that he's with that the colonel's responsible for killing two of his colleagues. So he wants revenge. 006 and 008. Yeah, that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so six yeah. is always afraid of me. The <laughs> because I ate nine. This colonel is played by Bob Simmons, who's the stunt coordinator for all these movies. Who was the original gun barrel bond? You in the yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's a great fight. It's, it, it's brutal. It's uh, and just watching the dude dressed up in the widow clothing. Heels too, by the heels way. Heels too. Yeah, with makeup. Which you know, <laughs> it would have been great if he atomic blonded that shit. You know and. Fucking rammed the heel into his into his head or something. That would have been great. Maybe a shoulder, you know, something le- uh, less. Uh, well, Bond does it to him, you know. Yeah. Oh, Bond does, takes the heel to him. Or like he throws the heel and it sticks into the wall. That would have been great. Yeah, with the one heel, and then before the guy can throw the other one, Bond catches that one and throws it back. What's the name of the blue-eyed chick in the Sin City comics? Um, Miho. You, no, no, no. no, she's, no. She's got like blue eyes that they. Pay, yeah, pay. you know, Delia. That, I think it's that later stuff where it got really colorful, like in that. She yeah. was in the uh, Helen. Blue. She was in the Helen back. I think. I think Delia. Yeah, where she, but she kills people with her heels. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah, I think it's, it's that Delia. one that's like all the shorts. Yeah. No, I know. And, like she's like, and I bullets, have to. Yeah. I have to kill you because I love you. And yeah, can prove I can kill anybody, and so she just it ends with her her throwing his her heel into his head. It's Delia, I think. Yeah, yeah. but uh, no, it's it. This is a great scene. Uh, definitely one of the best Connery cold opens. And yeah, but we didn't. And after beating him up, beating yeah, up, this isn't the best <laughs> part. Yeah, after that, he gets out. He's on the roof of the big there's, mansion there's or guys whatever. Chasing it is. him. Where's he gonna go? Oh. What's this? A jetpack? <laughs> Off we go. Someone left this behind. <laughs> Don't mind if I do. Uh, you know that was a real thing. That was a, a, a the jetpack was real. They, it was a, an army prototype, and they they brought it in because you know Goldfinger, the cold open. People fucking went wild for the cold open of Goldfinger, which is very tame in comparison to everything in Thunderball. And um, so but they still, to pe- top themselves. They wanted to top themselves, and so what better way than with a fucking jetpack? And you know, it and, is like only for a few seconds, though. He just rides it to a car. Yeah, I guess it's and to it, his, it, it buys him about like he, a minute of yeah, like he, he leeway. Gets, he gets back to the Aston Martin, and like an asshole, just tosses this red hot fucking jetpack into the trunk of the Aston Martin. <laughs> Which also contains his uh, bulletproof windshield and also the water fire jets. hoses inside. Which, yep. yeah, they the replaced exhaust pipes. They replaced the oil streams with water jets. <laughs> I, I bet you it's like whatever button you press, it can shoot out water or oil. But um, or, but for, or Earl Grey tea. 
Yeah. <laughs> for the opening credit stuff, it's like really iconic, you know. It's, uh, yeah, this yeah, is. Yeah, so From Rush with Love had just literally the credits projected on a woman dancing. Okay. Which is kind of, you know. Pretty boring, except for when 007 is projected on her tits. Okay, Sounds like so... it could have been a possibly interesting idea in like concept, but it just doesn't work out in reality. And they did it again in Goldfinger, projecting it on golden painted ladies. So the whole thing with that is Maurice Bender designed all the title sequences for these movies, or at least most of them. He did the Dr. No sequence. He designed the gun barrel that you see in all its different iterations across the franchise up till License to Kill, I believe. Hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, he was absent, though, for both From Russia With Love and Goldfinger, hence the more stripped down, just kind of projected uh, look. And yeah, from Russia with Loves is very uninteresting. It's the name. It's the names of the credits just projected onto models that are dancing around. And I think it's one model the it, whole time. It could, it could be, yeah. It could but, be uh, one model. Gold, I, I think it's maybe three tops. Goldfinger's a little bit more interesting because it's all over the Golden Girl that is Betty White. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Rest in peace, Betty. Yeah, uh, no the the whole Golden Girl. I'm like, glad you died before you could see men. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, she was so excited for men too. She really was. But um, <laughs> all I want to do is turn a hundred and watch men. But anyways, they uh, for Goldfinger they projected scenes from from Russia with Love and Doctor No onto the model that was pl- playing the Golden Girl. So it's a little bit it's it's a little more interesting than from Russia with Love, but still not all that great. Thunderball has the return of Maury Spender, and this Just is silhouettes. one of his best title sequences. Yeah, it's underwater silhouettes. And so, yeah, you have people swimming, people doing the whole wavy shit with their hands. Yeah, he likes the wavy hand gestures. Yeah. But, of course, you know, as... And a um, lot of guys with spear guns, including the little Triton spear guns that have three prongs. As amazing, that way you're really dead. As amazing as this title sequence is, though, the true star of it is Tom Jones. Yeah, Tom Jones is fucking and theme he rocks. strikes. And it's like, so it was originally a song called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah, so they originally came up with... So Okay, so another thing we missed in Goldfinger is that um, we missed the first actual title song for the franchise because the... No, but From Russia With Love... From, had, Russia, from uh, Russia With Love ended with a title song. It's a good one. I was listening to that on the a, way over. A good one, yes, but... Still, the opening titles were all yeah, instrumental. Yeah, Goldfinger was the start of the title song, and playing over these opening titles. And so, yeah, originally they had in uh, they like Goldfinger. So yeah, Shirley Bassey's Goldfinger theme blew up. It was setting records all over the place. So for Thunderball, they had come up with a song idea called Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which they even named a club in the movie, the club where Fiona Volpe is killed. The Kiss Kiss Club. It's the Kiss Kiss Club, and you can even hear a instrumental rendition of the song playing over the scene. They brought Shirley Bassey in to do the song, but they weren't really all that jazzed on it. I mean, they liked the song, but they weren't really too big on the idea of doing a song that didn't have the title of the movie. So they came up with the song for Thunderball. They had a different singer come in, but they weren't really all that impressed with her performance. And then right at the last moment, like I think just a couple months out from the film's premiere... They brought Tom Jones in 
to do the song and god bless them for bringing tom jones in because this is i think still decades later one of the best opening title songs in the franchise definitely up there i would agree it's interesting that they will do that though where like radiohead made a whole theme song for specter and they were like no yeah i was about to say imagine if they put radiohead specter in the background of specter somewhere like maybe yeah there's a long history in the lobby or something there's a long history of them uh contracting artists to do songs and then not using like man with the golden gun was originally by alice cooper holy shit and you can he's back the man with the gold and you can find you can find it on spotify too oh it it eventually came out like on its own uh for your eyes only was originally gonna be done by blondie and that's also on spotify now and is uh, you know, as much as I love the Sheena Easton version of For Your Eyes Only, the Blondie version is fucking amazing. That's got to be <laughs> fucking sick. I'm going to listen to that. Oh, it's so, it's so the great. same song. No, it's not the same song. Oh, it's, it's a, a different, different song, song okay. called For Your Eyes Only. But, um, but no, yeah, Tom Jones' Thunderball is incredible. Um, I like that Tom Jones is just like, yeah, I'll knock it out. <laughs> another significant... He's uh, a pro. Another significant uh, thing Thunderball has going for it is that it's one of the only films in the series to win an Oscar for something that isn't music related. They uh, they won the Oscar for best special effects for this movie. Now, how long at this time had the Oscar for special effects been around? Hmm. Well, I don't think they even really had a dedicated special effects So is it one of those Oscar. like special like awards? an honorary like a yeah, like Oh, a, it was like an honorary award, eh? Well, not not necessarily an honorary award, but just kind of like a special thing that they just like threw in for the ceremony that year. John Steers won it and rightfully so because the effects in Thunderball are incredible, including the Disco Volante blowing up at the end, which apparently he used rocket fuel in the detonation for and just vaporized that ship. The explosion was so big that even 30 miles back in civilization in Nassau, they shattered windows. Which makes me wonder how the camera equipment survived. I don't know. It was but... probably in one of those like weird Michael Bay bubbles. Yeah, yeah. maybe. <laughs> but uh, no, Thunderball, yeah, this one really kicked off the phenomenon. Like It was in full swing. There was super marketing for this one. It came out Christmas season, 1965. Nice. Theaters stayed open 24 hours a day screening this movie. They had uh, little booths set up in the lobbies of theaters where they could watch the trailer 24-7. Like, wow. People mobbed theaters. They mobbed the actors at premieres. Like Sean Connery did not attend any of the premieres of Thunderball, straight up. Like he Apparently there was an incident during one of the Paris premiere of Goldfinger where an actress jumped into the DB5 with him as he was driving down the street. <laughs> so Connery's out. And yeah, people just went fucking nuts for this movie. It's exhausting. Everyone wants to have sex with me. <laughs> really quick, I so I looked up the special effects awards actually been around since 1928. Really? Yeah, it was called the Engineering Effects Award. Oh wow! And then it became the Special Effects Award in the 1930s, and then it became the Visual Effects Award uh, in 1963 for Cleopatra. Interesting. Thunderball would win it, uh, you know, a couple of years later. Yeah. Would- Mary Poppins won it, by the way. Yeah, that nice. makes sense. Mm-hmm. What were some uh, nominations? Uh, well, it was only it was only one only two uh, Thunderball. There was only one movie that Thunderball was pit against. It was the greatest story ever told. Hmm. I don't remember that. It's about Jesus. So, yeah, James Bond beat Jesus. James Bond beat Christ, and it wouldn't be the last time. <laughs> like a like a man. Like a man. <laughs> no, but um, 
And, you know, it's funny Funny enough, John Steers didn't even know he was nominated for an Oscar. He only knew he got the Oscar when the Royal uh, Airport called him and said, hey, we got a parcel for you to pick up. Come get this. He had to pay for it to import it into the country. That's so sad that the studio didn't tell him that he was nominated for an Oscar or won one. Yeah, and then he, he gets home, opens up the package, and, oh, hey, it's an Oscar <laughs> with my name on it. One of the only instances you'll see special effects Oscar with just one name on it. <laughs> Yeah, but um, yeah. Uh, this this was okay. definitely the giant. You know, Goldfinger is kind of one that everyone points back to when talking about the classic Connery era. But Thunderball, I believe, is the one that really shot this series into the stratosphere. So now this is dope, man. And um, yeah, we get some we get some shark action. Sharks. Really, really great shark action. So is this one things. of the first times where a guy feeds his henchmen to sharks? Yeah. Yeah, it is, actually. Nice. Pretty crazy. If only they had freaking lasers, lasers on their freaking heads. This is why Largo is the most classic of the Bond villains. Like, Absolutely. You know, I, I, I mean, I can't quote him for shit like Goldfinger, but, you know. <laughs> you I know just what, remember though? that he's like threatening to torture her with a cigar, which makes sense, but then also ice cubes. You know, that like, I'll make weird. you really cold and then burn you. He's, he's not really a um, quotable villain in the way Goldfinger is, but you know he's memorable in just how sinister he is overall. Like and he's also, vibes. he is not a henchman that hangs back. You no. Know? He's, he is uh, in there, he's in the, in the water trenches. with them, yeah, doing all the shit. Yeah, that's something that I kind of do like about that. You know, like he does actually get involved. Uh, I mean, all the, all the villains that we've had so far in these movies have been very involved. I mean, Dr. No... Whilst he knows, failed, he did try to fight Bond one-on-one. With his robot hands. And Hell, then, you, even later on, you see Blofeld in Honor Majesty's Secret Service get down and try and fucking kill Bond himself, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I don't think Goldfinger really tries to like take on Bond. He actually, like, like in the well, final... He's, he's, it's not until most, the, he's the most out-of-shape villain well, in all not, of these, it's right? Not, it's not until the very end of the movie, right when he's killed, that he actually tries to do something and then just spectacularly fails immediately. Immediately. But uh, Thunderball, though, Largo's a fantastic villain. And yeah, I, I don't know what else there is to say about this one. It's it's God-tier Bond firing on all cylinders. Absolutely. I, I wish that Dominique was a more charismatic Bond girl. Yeah. Yeah. She's very blank. At least, like, at, at at least, least his... Honey Rider was crazy. I'll admit, I did kind of get lost with some of the ladies around here in this film. There's a lot of ladies going around. Yeah, he's, he's got Paula, his sexy assistant, who's there to die. You obviously got Domino. <laughs> you got Fiona Volpe. You have the uh, uh, the nurse. You at have the... chaotic neutral, chaotic good, <laughs> chaotic <Yeah>. evil. <laughs> you, have, you have the nurse at the the clinic, which. That's that scene. That scene pissed my sister off when she watched this movie last year. When he extorts her into having sex with him. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> fucked. That's super. It fucked. is weird that he would have to extort anybody into having sex with him. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So that's it. It's just another one of those moments that definitely didn't age well, along with the re- as well as the rest of this. Oh, movie okay. Did. Let's not let's not forget about the guy that saves Dominique. Oh yeah, the guy oh, so there's that. like a techie who's like Largo's techie who he hears Dominique being tortured and he feels bad and Has so a he's change of heart. <laughs> so he's like, okay, the bomb won't work. I threw the thing into the ocean. So he sets her free, which allows her to save James Bond's life by shooting Largo with the harpoon gun. <laughs> yeah, and then they're jumping off, and the guy's like, "I can't swim." And Sean Connery's like, "Good time to learn." And he just ha- he hands him the ring to float on. But and- then there's an explosion. 
Yeah. Oh, so man. that guy's dead. Briggs, tell me about that. Tell us about that explosion for the podcast. You told us about. No, he did. He yeah, said did. that the I, windows I all, did. but also that it flew a million yeah, feet so into the air. Oh, so yeah, yeah, okay, yeah John, John Steers used rocket fuel and fucking. He he talks about in the making of how they just looked up and they just see a black dot up in the sky and they're like, oh shit, that ship is up there and it's coming back down on us and we oh. got nowhere to go. <laughs> oh my. God, they they vaporized that ship like there was nothing left. <laughs> that was oh my god, and it, definitely one of the biggest explosions on film, at least up to that point. So yeah, so there's no way that that poor little guy swam away from that in time. No, and even then, it's uh, it's unlikely that oh, he got any help. We get so so the Navy guys are in full body orange jumpsuits. Mm-hmm. But Sean Connery, James Bond, is not. We got so he's much got bare Bond legs, leg. and he spends the last forty minutes of this movie with his hairy bare legs out. We got <laughs> we, we get so much Connery leg in this. Oh yeah. yeah, if you like Sean Connery's hairy ass legs, you'll love this movie. Yeah. So, you want to rate this? Let's, let's rate it. Uh, I would give this movie a solid eight out of ten. It's classic. It's adventurous. It's fantastic. It's not as it's not as uh, I mean as as clear cut as the plot is for this one compared to From Russia with Love. Uh, I still like From Russia with Love as a better like spy thriller than this one. This is still very very fun though. To it's just a put fantasy on, yeah. superhero kind of Bond. I'm gonna give this a ten ten. Okay. Like to me this. This is what I think of when I think of classic Bond. Like when I think of the classic imagery of this series, when I think of the classic elements of this series, this is the type of movie I think of. Movies like this, movies like From Russia with Love, You Only Live Twice, this is what I go back to. And I feel like, you know, they obviously they got bigger and bigger from here on, but. I still feel like this one still tops most of the films that came after it in many, many ways. No, and probably with Sean Connery, this is like really solid peak Bond. Mm -hmm. What about you? I'll give it a nine out of men. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give it a nine out of ten. This is really, I'll give it an eight out of ten. I really like From Russia with Love. From Russia with Love is great. That was just, uh, I got so much of what I want from a James Bond movie out of that. Absolutely. This one is convoluted again. Yeah, it's uh, I I love the Spectre scenes when he blows up the guy in the the seat. Yeah. (laughs) And they're just like, shit. I mean, it's, I don't know, it's not as convoluted as the other ones. The the plot's a little bit sensical compared to, I mean, I mean, the big plot to like steal decoder somewhere in the middle of somewhere and then using radiation to shoot down rockets i mean i feel i'm not saying dr no is better the steps to get to the plan the the overall plan is not convoluted the steps to get to the plan are a little convoluted but i still feel like it's a little easier to follow than dr no or from russia with love yeah okay but uh but so uh what do we want to rate this trilogy overall guys oh the trilogy, I'll give it 10 out of 10. Yeah, same. 10, 10. I'll give it a 9 out of 10. Very solidly classical Bond. Very iconic Bond. Just 
perfect Bond that you could absolutely sit back and watch with your friends. No, and if you want to get into classic Bond, these this are is three great movies to start with. Watch I, Goldfinger. Yeah, watch Goldfinger too. Like watch Gold, Goldfinger is goofy as hell, but you get Odd Job who can kill people with his hat. I think if you do watch these movies, then uh, you'll appreciate Spectre a bit better. You know, if you've yeah. already watched the Daniel Craig's, because well, Spectre, yeah, Spectre was really kind of is really kind of the black sheep of the bunch. I want to say like no, I Quantum mean, is no Quantum's not great, but you know what though, it still feels somewhat in line with what they're doing with the Craig films. It feels still more modern. Yeah, but it's, a, Spectre, still a, it's still a tech villain. Well, but, if you watch Quantum right after Casino Royale, it's nice that they flow together so well. Exactly, and you. Know, especially coming off of a movie like Skyfall. Skyfall is just incredible. Another 1010 movie in the fr- the first real 1010 movie in the franchise in the, a well, long that's the time. First, that's the first auteur Bond. Yeah, and, where it's Sam Mendes but, writing and directing. But so it's like you know you still have you kind of see more of the rebirth of the classic Bond formula in Skyfall, but at the same time it still feels very in line with what they're doing with the Craig films. It feels like it exists perfectly alongside Casino Royale and the much inferior Quantum of Solace. But then Spectre comes along. And it's like we mentioned earlier, you know, we were hoping coming off of a movie like Skyfall, you know, they would give Spectre the darker treatment that it honestly really deserves. Well, and that the trailer kind of implied. The trailer implies, <laughs> but instead it's more of a return to the Roger Moore and later Connery era, just kind of straightforward action silliness, you know? You know what it reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of when uh, Godzilla just decided to go nutso and crazy with... Uh, King of the Monsters. Yes. Yeah. Then even more so with King Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah, no, oh, I, God, I yeah. agree. But uh, no, it's a fantastic trilogy. One of quite a few trilogies that you can mine from this franchise. Like there's also the Golden Trilogy of Goldfinger, Man with the Golden Gun, and um, I would be interested Golden in Eye. doing the two Daltons and the Lazenby. Yeah, that would be a really... I was about to say, that'd be a really good one to do. The, Outli- that, the Outlier Trilogy. That would be a fantastic one to do, and I would be down... Honor Majesty's Secret Service is criminally underrated, and I'm so stoked to see it finally getting the reappraisal it deserves it's, nowadays. It's a good film. It's just, uh, you know, I'm just not a big fan of the Bond in that one. No, but it definitely is yeah. the best theme song. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. The Absolutely. Spy Who Loved Me, fucking badass. Spy Who That's Loved from Me. That's from the movie, The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah. What? Does no, you, the, the the song composed for Honor Majesty's Secret Service is We Have All the Time in the World by Louis Armstrong. The the Spy Who Loved Me is for the movie The Spy Who Loved Me. Oh. That's a Roger yeah. Moore film. Oh, fuck. He Mandela'd himself again. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen many of them, but damn. We'll get you there, buddy. Yeah. You, so you that's got... the one that opens with the weird parachute with the British flag? Yes. Yes. The that's Spy, Spy Who, who Loved Me. me. Yes. No, I know. That's I know. Okay. The what? The uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, I think Isn't that it opens also, with like a beach fight, doesn't it? Uh, is there yes, ski fighting with a beach in fight. Her Majesty's Secret Service? Huh? There is there any a, skiing in? Yes, yes. There's, there's a ton of skiing. In I think that's Majesty's why I'm mixing it up. <laughs> yeah, there's so much skiing in that one. Which it's fun. It's you know I mentioned when we were watching these. You know they really stayed in house for a lot of these films. Like they brought it. This crew was a family. And funny enough, on Her Majesty's Secret Service is when they added their ski photography guy who would come back to shoot all the ski stuff in Spy Who Loved Me, in For Your Eyes Only, I think maybe even Living Daylights, and uh, definitely A View to a Kill, the cold open for A View to a Kill. Oh so, yeah, that one, that, one, that, that one's a skiing thing. At yeah. least a mountain thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a lot of skiing. Yeah, you know. Even Inspector. Exotic locations. It's just like it's just like we talked about with the Friday movies. You know, Jason has his greatest hits, his best of, his favorites he likes to come back to. This franchise does also. Like there are certain elements that kind of rear their heads like multiple times throughout this series and unlike in the Friday series it's mostly great all the time when you see them in these movies no and I think we'll do some extracurriculars and I'll be watching a lot more of these with you guys we're definitely Sam and I are definitely gonna get Kreider more I want to be educated I'm just reluctant about the Roger Moore ones you know we were there's some good ones and then there's some fun ones I want to see the Grace Jones one obviously (laughs) oh that's one of the uh, that's one of the movies that has existed for James Bond yeah no we uh, uh, you know, we uh, when we were talking about the cold open idea for uh, for this episode, Kreider had initially mentioned, you know, oh, what if we do an idea like we're reading fake fan mail and the fan uh, mail self-destructs? And it's like, you know, that's more Mission Impossible. We'll stick that in our back pocket for a Mission Impossible <laughs> episode, but it's not really Bond. And he acknowledged, like, yeah, you and Sam are really more the Bond scholars of the group. So we're gonna we're gonna get him schooled. He's gonna catch up. He's gonna finally fucking see Goldeneye Fuck at some yeah. point. We're gonna get you on that Golden trilogy, dude. Yeah, I think yeah. I think I think I want to go on record and say that's the next Bond trilogy we'll do because that's a good one that covers multiple eras. You got Connery, you got Moore, and Brosnan. Absolutely, it's Goldeneye, Goldfinger, the Man with the Golden Gun, and Goldeneye. Have you seen Gold Golden Gun? No. Oh shit! I was always confused because Goldfinger has a golden gun. Yeah, it is a gold-plated revolver. Oh yeah, he does. Oh <laughs> shit, he does. Yeah, oh, at no. the very end. It's not as crazy as uh, you know. It's not. It's not as crazy as Christopher Lee's like weird so cigarette case. Like his evil counterpart. Exactly. Kinda. Uh, you you remember when uh, we were in, we were in high school and you would always try and be all like Sam, try and put this line. Uh, come now, Mister Bond. You drive as oh, much come. pleasure from killing as I do. Come, come, Mr. Bond. You derive just as much pleasure from killing as I do. Yeah, that's uh, Christopher Lee from Golden Gun. Which, Is that a Sean Connery? No, it's it's a Roger Moore. It's it's the second Roger Moore movie, and funny enough, Christopher Lee is Ian Fleming's cousin. Yep. And he killed real people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Killed people for real, Ian Fleming. (laughs) But uh, you know this this was fun. I'm looking forward to discussing more Bond with you guys. Absolutely. No, um, but you know what though? It's Sam's birthday month uh, next. It's my birthday month so, next. Sam, up. do you want to go ahead and divulge what you have picked out for Triptych July? Well, you know, guys, we just haven't really discussed that much animation as we've gone on. The last animated thing was uh, for my last birthday discussion, which was Batman. <laughs> So wait, that was an October episode, though. Was it an October episode? Yeah. Oh, shit. yeah. We just did two October episodes. Oh, okay. My but bad. still, that's the last time. That's the we last time we animation. did animation. So I say we go back to animation, and not only do we go back to animation, we go to the master of animation, Ralph Bakshi. Oh, fun! Now we're big fans of underground animation, Adult Swim shit. Fuck this yeah. is the original. Yeah. This is the OG. There's underground animator, motherfuckers. There's this no smiling the original... friends without Ralph Bakshi. No, yeah, there's, there's no <laughs> new grounds without Fritz the Cat. Man. But you know, as far as I know, there are no consistent like story trilogies with Ralph Bakshi. So Sam has curated three separate Ralph Bakshi movies that go together very well. Which movies are we going to be covering? Well, we will be covering his first three films, also known as his Street Trilogy. Oh. Which includes Fritz the Cat. Fuck yeah. Heavy Traffic. And my personal favorite, Coonskin. Oh, the oh stars my God. <laughs> Coonskin Briggs is like... 
fucking you know, I've, masterpiece. I've only ever seen like the first 15, 20 minutes of Fritz the Cat, and that's it. But yeah. that's enough for me to know, holy shit, this is going to be fucking crazy. I can't wait to see these movies. We gotta, we will have to watch these in like a private place because, you know, X-rated film. Yeah. <laughs> yes, no, we won't be. <laughs> I don't think we're just going to sit around Kreider's living room. I think those might be need to be movies we watch here yeah, at just, my place. Yeah, or, just, or at Sam's just... Hiding our shame. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be great. You guys. Well, no, we we could probably do them here. Lombardo screened uh, Fritz the Cat for a friend of ours and freaked him the fuck out one time. So, <laughs> uh, I can't wait, guys. So, gonna be a very fun episode to discuss. Uh, I hope you're here for it. Yeah, but in the meantime, we can uh, you can follow the podcast further on social media. Yes, uh, we have our website. It's teaminsomniacfilms.com. We also are available on. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Twitter being Team Insomniac FL for Florida. And Briggs? Uh, you can find me at Briggs underscore Metal Revolution on Instagram. You can follow me for uh, if you're into heavy metal music or anything of that sort. You can follow me and get updates on my radio show that I do on uh, University of Miami's radio station. And uh, you can find me as Big Boss Tune on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, I'm doing comics and doing uh, some uh, other illustrations. And then, Kreider, where can you be found? So, yeah, well, you said the Team Insomniac, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. TeamInsomniac.com. I'm at Kreider Writer. And, uh, guys, really make sure you go see Men. <laughs> Written and directed by Alex Garland. God damn it. I hate that we took a break to see this because it's tainted this discussion. Hey, while we're here, guys, do you want to give a, a short uh, just review and then rating of Men? Oh, God. Uh it was hilarious. It reminded me of sitting in the theater five years ago watching Mother by myself, <laughs> and the, in the way that it's so, it, the movie's so far up its own asshole, and it's so fucking funny because of it. I got a there's a Netflix show called Brand New Cherry Flavor where a woman you know makes a crazy student film using witchcraft. It felt like that movie. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> it felt like I was watching a worse version of Antichrist. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I give men, I give men a ten out of ten. <laughs> I give it a men out of men. Uh, I give it a uh, mangina out of ten. Uh, <laughs> I will say multiple the, I will say the Rory Kinnear's so guys, brilliant. I was, I was just listening to your James Bond episode. Why does it say spoiler alerts for men? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys in July with Ralph Bakshi. Yes. See you then.